0: Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. You're a good dog.
1: That's some bad hat
0: hair. Sure. It's a good cool dog. <laughs> Get any of that? Not a doctor. Bye, have a beautiful tremula. I'm not a bad. I'm not a bad. I'm not a Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordas. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1. Damask Leary, mm-hmm. how are you doing today?
1: Look, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty excited to talk about this show, actually.
0: Me too. And we are on a tight schedule, so we're not going to muck around too much. we to get straight into it. Let's get to our spoiler-free review of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power is an American fantasy streaming series developed for Amazon Prime Video by J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, known as uncredited writers on the film Star Trek Beyond and not much else. Based on the novel The Lord of the Rings and its appendices by J.R. Tolkien, the series is set in the second age of Middle-earth, thousands of years before Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. If you've seen the prologue of The Fellowship of the Ring, narrated by Kate Blanchett's Galadriel, then you already know the main events this series will cover. Amazon bought the television rights for The Lord of the Rings from the Tolkien estate with a five-season production commitment worth at least a billion dollars US, potentially making it the most expensive television series ever made. Despite having the involvement of New Line Cinema, The Rings of Power is not an official continuation of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit film trilogies due to requirements of Amazon's deal with the Tolkien estate and a complicated situation as to who owns the rights to the Peter Jackson films. That said, The Rings of Power is intended to evoke the films using similar production design, younger versions of characters from the films, a main theme by Howard Shaw, who composed the music for the trilogies, and the first season being filmed in New Zealand, though Amazon have moved production for future seasons to the United Kingdom. While somewhat centered on the elven warrior Galadriel, played by Morford Clark, the show follows a number of interweaving stories featuring an ensemble cast, including Robert Arameu, Ismail Cruz Cordova, Nazanin Badani, Tyrone Muhafidin, Lloyd Owen, Cynthia Adai Robinson, Maxim Baldry. Or Wayne Arthur, Sophia Nomvete, Peter Mullen, Michaela Cavanagh, Megan Richards, Daniel Wayman, Lenny Henry, Charlie Vickers, and Joseph Morley, just to name a few. The series also features an impressive score by Bear McCreary, who has become extremely prolific for his work on film, TV, and video games, including the upcoming God of War: Ragnarok. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power Season 1, consists of eight episodes, each coming in at around 70 minutes, and took us approximately nine hours and 15 minutes to watch. Season 2 began filming in early October of 2022, though it is not expected to arrive on our screens until 2024. So, with all that in mind, Damask before we get to our spoiler-free review, I just wanted to ask you... Are you an existing fan of Tolkien, uh, the, the wor- his work, uh, his literary works uh, in the Lord of the Rings, and obviously the Hobbit, uh, Silmarillion, any of the other stuff? Uh, and also, were you a fan of Lord of the Rings films, the Peter Jackson films, before watching Rings of Power?
1: So I loved fantasy as a child. They were it's always my favourite book genre. Uh, Rowan of Rinn kind of like really sparked that energy mm. um, and I had uh my eldest brother is six years older than me and he really loved fantasy as well I think I just kind of got it from him mm-hmm. um, so he had all these like fantasy books that some of which would just seem too complicated but he gave me his copy of the Hobbit to mm-hmm. read um, and I lo- I loved it I loved it so much um, for me the Hobbit is a, a perfect book book it's for all ages i just think it's it's an incredible book it's an incredible story um and offers up every single possible emotion you could possibly want out of a story um it's wonderful and i read that loved it so much and he had um the lord of the rings as well but he had like a special edition where it was actually like split up into the the trilogy mm-hmm. um and i asked him if i could read it and i think i i was probably Maybe in grade five, and he was like, Oh, it's a bit, it's a bit dense, a bit complicated. You probably won't like it. I was like, Fuck ah, you. Yeah. Well, not as a child, but I was like, <laughs> You know, when your older brother's like, No, nah, you're too young for that. You're like, Well, I'm going to do it and I'm going to love it. Um, And I did. So I read it, and that was around the time I must have been slightly older, actually, because around the time when Harry Potter started becoming really big and everyone was reading Harry Potter. Yeah. And so, I became that absolute wanker who was like, "Mm, children read Harry Potter, young adults (laughs) like myself read Lord of the Rings. Uh Harry Potter's lame. Um, So, yeah. You
0: you were a real Hermione, were you, at the time?
1: Of course, I was. You just didn't know who it was because you (laughs)
0: refused to read it.
1: I didn't have Hermione's intelligence, but I certainly had her (laughs) attitude. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I read Lord of the Rings and loved it, loved it, loved it. Wow. Then, obviously, the... The films came out and...
0: So, you read them before the films came out? Cool.
1: Just before, because I knew wow. they were filming. Yeah. Um, I knew a film was coming, so I was reading them just before, because, um, you know, I liked I liked to know more than anyone else in the cinema.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I liked to be that guy, um, even back then. So, I... Went and saw the – my once again, my eldest brother took me to the movie theatre. I'm sure he didn't want to go with his little sister, but I made mm-hmm. him. Um, and I loved it. I love – The Fellowship of the Ring is my favourite of the films. I think mm-hmm. Like the Hobbit is a perfect book. I think Lord of the Rings uh, – Fellowship of the Ring um, is the perfect Lord of the Rings film. Like, it's, just, it's, it's the best. It is so solid in terms of, like, world-building, uh, character – Got those high highs, those low lows. It's devastating. It's joyful. It's such a good film. I love those films, um, but particularly Fellowship. Um, And The Hobbit film doesn't deserve any of my attention or time. I watched the first one. I was like, absolutely not. I tried to watch (laughs) the second and I was like, how dare you? And never bothered to watch the third because I was like, what a waste of time.
0: Wasn't worth your time, I'll tell you that much.
1: Yeah. Um. Just, re- yeah. Really sad that that's that's um what they made out of such an amazing book. Um. And obviously, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff as to why it was so terrible. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> Lindsay Ellis does a great video series on that, actually, mm-hmm. or video on that. People should watch that if they can. Um. Yeah. So I'm. I love Lord of the Rings. I love fantasy. Um. So I was pretty pretty excited that this show was going to come out.
0: Cool. Um. I read The Hobbit, I think, at some stage in primary school. I couldn't remember exactly when, mm. uh, but I remember enjoying that book. And then I never got around to Lord of the Rings straight away. I think it was one of those things I didn't think I was uh, was too much for me at that time to mm. so try and read it. Um, but I remember seeing the trailers for Fellowship of the Ring and like, oh, yeah, this seems kind of cool. And then it came out. I wasn't excited necessarily beforehand, but um ended up going to the cinemas to see it because the talk was, it was very positive. It was very positive about it. And loved it. I think ended up seeing it like three times or something at the cinema. Mm, Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. Um, from there, became obsessed pretty quickly. So I think from then on, I remember specifically for at least. Um, so what was that two thousand and three that uh, Return of the King came out? So I was in year ten. Mm. In my school diary, like my journal, <laughs> I had like a countdown. To- <gasps> That's exciting. To The Return of the King when it was coming out. In fact, Liam and I, my brother Liam and I, got very, very lucky in that we won a competition in the Herald Sun, one of the local newspapers, to see The uh, Return of the King. Because it came out like Boxing Day here, which is about a week or two after it came out in the States. Mm -hmm. We got to see it at a preview screening in Melbourne, uh, basically the same time it came out in the States. (gasps) So we got to see it before most anybody else I knew, which was very, very exciting exciting. to do. But
1: also I know the Gordas Brothers and you would have been insufferable!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure I ended up seeing Two Towers three times at the cinemas, and Mm. I think I saw Return of the King like eight times or something like that. I went... It's the most of any film I've ever seen at the cinemas. The closest to that would be Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think I saw five times at the cinemas. I I was taking everybody I knew to see that movie. I loved Guardians so much. But Mm. I'm pretty sure I saw Return of the King eight times. And it ran for a long time because it was like the biggest film in the world. Mm -hmm. And it, it went on for quite a long time at the cinemas. So you could go every couple of weeks- because the DVD yeah. wasn't coming out for a long time. It like, yeah, oh, it took I've got- like two I-
1: years for like videos, and DVDs to come out. Sometimes. I think same. they were a bit um, faster
0: than that by then, but f- by then, yeah, th- yeah, there yeah. were periods. Absolutely. Um, so after watching Fellowship, mm. which I loved, I decided to try and read the books. I'm like, I got, I, got, I can't wait a year to, to see or two years to see how this story ends. Mm. So I tried to read Fellowship, mm-hmm. got as far as Tom Bombadil and the like the Barrows or whatever they're called. And like, That's as I'm, far as you got. I was like, I'm <laughs> done with this book, but I also knew generally where things went. So I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure I can jump in here at the Two Towers. So yeah. I got to the Two Towers and I read through the Two Towers and the Return of the King. Mm. I liked both of those books quite a lot. Yeah, um, I I should really return because someone was saying to me the other day when I read the Fellowship, I basically just skip to the Council of Elrond and then go from there, or the uh, uh, like basically Book Two inside. Fellowship, mm. and they go the second half of the book. I never mm-hmm. read that myself, and maybe I should do that one day. I'll, I'll give myself that little assignment. Um, mm-hmm. But I became that guy, and anyone who's a fan of the Lord of the Rings films knows that guy, who has the extended editions mm-hmm. and watched them <laughs> insufferably, and listened to all the di- all the commentaries, the mm-hmm. director's commentary, the cast commentary, the freaking mm-hmm. commentary from the special effects team, etc., etc. I listen. I listened to all of those just. Mm-hmm. I'm that guy who has to bite their tongue to not talk about trivia like how they go. You're Morton's that guy now, but
1: you were that guy in high school who didn't bite your tongue. was like, did you know in this scene?
0: <laughs> well, I didn't yep. know that guy was a meme until <laughs> you know, more I recent years. I had to explain
1: years. it. To, I was talking to Angela and one of her friends. Um, we must have been talking about like rings of power or whatever. Um, and I was talking about, yeah, that guy, you know, the famous scene where, like, did you know that um, Vigo Mortensen actually broke his foot in that scene when he kicked <laughs> the helm? Blah, 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 blah. That and pain, I, I, that I,
0: scream was real? Yeah, it was real, <laughs> yeah.
1: I was making a joke about it, but they were, like, Obviously, much cooler than I was in high school. Didn't hang out with nerdy guys, nor did they <laughs> date any. They dated guys who were in bands, and they were like, Oh, no one's ever, I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm like, Oh, I could have been that guy. <laughs> <So> instance,
0: <laughs> did you know? Chance. Yeah. <laughs> Got a whole, whole running list of facts and figures together while you're <laughs> watching the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Love, love those films. And I agree with you. Uh, I think The Fellowship is the strongest film. It is mm. one of my all-time favourite movies. It's a film that I know so well, the extended edition in particular, that mm. I like to put it on while I'm doing other things. Yeah. Like if I've got, an assi- if I had assignment to write at mm. uni or something like that or things I actually to concentrate on just need some like white mm. noise, yeah, I, I just put The Fellowship it the on. just the other
1: day, yeah. You'll
0: oh, I've, I've, mm. I've, yeah, I'm desperate to rewatch the whole trilogy at the moment mm-hmm. after watching Wings of Power, but...
1: We can do that when I'm in Melbourne. Oh, that's not that a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's a
0: lovely idea. <laughs> I, that's, think so. I mean, I I'm I agree with Joanna Robinson that mm. the Lord of the Rings films are Christmas movies. There's no particular reason. 100%. I totally
1: apparently, agree with that.
0: apparently the date they leave Rivendell, the fellowship leave Rivendell mm-hmm. is the 25th of December, apparently. Canonically 25th of December, which to me is like that's enough. That's all I need. If Die Hard is allowed to be a Christmas film, so is the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I thought is, they had
1: different like months and stuff. How could they possibly have the same month? Okay. That's apparently I'm, canonically I'm not, true. Okay, I'm not looking. I'll, du- I'll yep.
0: double check that, but I'm, I'm, I've heard that somewhere. I'm sure you're
1: right, but I just don't see how that's possible. But Anyway, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, point being, it's a Christmas. They're Christmas films, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's yeah. So that's all. I'll play that in the background as like white noise because I don't even have to look up. I know just by listening to it, what's mm-hmm. happening on screen. It just exists. Perpetually in my mind. Yeah, uh, was excited for the Hobbit films. Was excited when Guillermo del Toro was originally yeah. going to be mm. directing them, um and they wanted to do like Smaug practically and stuff like that. Because God, yeah. that guy is visual. Would have been cool. Then was excited also when it, when he pulled out of that, and Peter Jackson was attached to it again. I was pretty excited. I was even excited about the fact they were doing it in like. 80 frames per second or whatever it was and 60 frames per second. I think it was as 60 frames as actually. As soon as I heard
1: it was three films, I was like, well, this I mean, is going to be a disaster. Well,
0: first it was two films. Yeah. Then before the first one came out, they decided it was going to be three films. And they went back yeah. and shot some extra stuff. Um, but, you know, I trusted in Pierre Jackson and Fran Walsh because they did such a good job. On oh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I was so excited for those. Yes, and doing the HDR or whatever the things were they were doing. That was this like the James Cameron led 3D and all that. Mm. I didn't hate um, the first one, Ugh. but I didn't like it a lot. I didn't. I've never. I, these are films that I've never seen more than once. If that makes sense, I saw all three in the cinemas. I tried to see them in the preferred formats. They they get worse as they go along, and the last one is a freaking travesty, I think, and it's so disappointing. Not
1: content to uh, make uh, three yeah, films.
0: It, it should never have been a trilogy, straight up. It no. should have just been one movie. I believe mm-hmm. there are fan edits out there that have tried to make mm. it into one film. I'd like to see them. I've often thought. There is a good movie in there if you just cut the fat. Mm. I like the idea of making a, fi- a cut called "The Hobbit: The Hobbit Edition," which is both a reference <laughs> to the fact that it's shorter, like a hobbit, but yeah. also that it just focuses on the, the hobbit. aforementioned hobbit, the yeah. titular hobbit, and rather than the other mm. stuff that's going on. Um, but yeah, those movies uh, I left out has my mouth, which which is what brings me to where I am with the Rings of Power, which is excited for more, um, but also hesitant because. You know, there is no guarantee it's going to be good just because it is more the yes, Lord of Lord the Rings, basically. All right, good explanation of how we feel about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see if anything else to talk about goes that long. Damask, would you like to give your spoiler free review of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1?
1: I would. Okay. So I wanted this show to be good for all of the reasons I think that we just discussed, but also just because I've just wanted more fantasy television. And I'm finally getting it. Yay. Uh, my expectations were very high. The trailers looked promising. The budget was astronomical. Um, and overall, just as a brief summary, I was pretty satisfied. Um, in The Fellowship of the Ring, there's a, the film, there was a moment when they're all on boats after. I think they've just left Galadriel and they look up and see these giant ancient statues of great kings of the past and as a kid in the cinema, it blew my mind. Like I wanted to know who those kings were. I wanted to walk through a world of like this majesty and might. And this, I mean, the score is doing a lot as well in that scene. Like it was just so beautiful and mysterious. And like that wonder in um, Aragorn's eyes. Like I was mirroring that as a kid in in the cinema. And in 2022 my old haggard self finally gets that opportunity to be in that world, to see those things, um, to be in that time in Middle-earth. And it's it really is a delight. I don't know much about this kind of universe beyond The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings books. Um, I've never read The Silmarillion, Um but watching this show inspired a curiosity of all the beautiful lore and world building that Tolkien had done. I watched a bunch of videos on the history of Valinor and M- Morgoth and the Silmarils and Numenor and all that stuff on YouTube uh, when the show first started airing. Because I'm like, I need to know more about this history because it sounds fascinating. Um, I, I really couldn't get enough. And FYI, if anyone else is, like, curious about that stuff or confused or whatever it is, there is a great channel on YouTube called Nerd of the Rings. And they have, like, huge catalogue series of kind of talking about all the world building and lore it, it's, and in a really clear way. It's Did you really ever good.
0: try and read The Silmarillion?
1: No. I remember my brother Aram had it. Um, but then I asked him what it was about, and he briefly explained that it was kind of all just kind of like history. And I was like, oh, okay. It, like, he didn't really sell it to me, so I was like, oh, okay, never mind.
0: It's. I mean, the funny thing about it is Tolkien didn't publish. It was published well after his death. Mm. Christopher Tolkien, I think, put it together, I think. But, you know, it was never really made with the intention of necessarily being published the way that it was. And it is essentially the Bible of Middle Earth. And I did get it because I was, you know, on a, on a Lord of the Rings high back yeah. in high school. Got it, tried to read it. And got like two or three chapters in. They got to a point like the world's been created, the mm-hmm. elves have been created, and like it was seriously a section that was like these elves went to here by the river mm-hmm. and they were called this, yeah. And these elves they went to the lake <laughs> and they were called this. And these elves went to a different lake, so they were. Yeah. I was like, I'm out. I'm fucking done. Yeah,
1: that's why. Like, was, like video series by um. No, the ring's is really good because he's got, like, maps and, like, drawings and stuff. So, like, cool. as he narrates that history, that very, like, dense history, you're like, oh, okay. Do I remember any of those names or places? No. But as I'm watching, him, like, oh, like, that makes sense to me yeah. and that is fascinating. So, I've got, like, at least a sketching in my brain of, of some of the things that I didn't have before. Anyway, b- back to the topic at hand. Um, this show, Rings of Power, feels like a portal into another world. All of that money was well spent. I mean, they could have chucked, you know, a few dollars to Paper Girls, but that's, that would be nice. that's last week's episode. <laughs> um, it is well spent because just simply looking at how cinematic the design and execution is, is lovely to see. You know, the places we go... Made me feel like a little hobbit with like a great big backpack on with clanking pots tied to it. I was excitedly scurrying across plains, sailing on faraway seas, walking the streets of wondrous cities. It's a long lost world, one of great warriors, noble kings and unknown wilds. And this was gifted to me and I was giddy. This season, we venture into the lives of some characters we know and others we don't. I was skeptical that I could fall in love with some of the strangers, but I did. Not with all, let's be clear, not with all, but with many, I truly did. And it's uh, at this point, only after season one, it's kind of this really deep, full-on love (laughs) and care that I feel for those characters. And that shows you that they're not just focusing on CGI or design or simply world-building, but there is really good work going into character um, and that's really important to me. And I know it's important to you, Broad, and I'm sure to many of our listeners. It was also great to see characters like Galadriel and Elrond younger. Of course, they're still super old. Uh, They're wise (laughs) in some ways, but so clearly naive in others. And I think that's going to be a really interesting journey. It's not... um, they are not who they are, who we, mm-hmm. who we know. And I think that's a really important element um, to see the kind of beginnings of the leaders that they will become um, and to fill in all of those blanks that so many of us have in terms of those characters. Uh, the characters of Nori and Poppy put a great big smile on my face, such small creatures with big hearts and curious minds. There is – I'm nothing but endeared, endeared uh, to those characters and their community. And the dwarves, oh my goodness, I love the dwarves. I love everything I was seeing there, Um, the culture, the place that they live, everything around it. I was just, I was excited. I think you could kind of tell with my energy right now, I was so excited to see it. At the moment, not much is appointment television for me, but this show was. I think it was perfect for a weekly release. You know, those conversations, we're not having spoilers or anything, um, but simply having something to sit down, you know, with your partner or your friends, have dinner and go, yes, we're going to watch this and have so much fun while you do it. I really can't wait for next season, but by the time it comes out, apparently I'm going to be... Hundred and fifty, but I'm, I'm I'm willing to wait.
0: <laughs> Wonderful, uh, it's interesting. What you're saying about appointment television as well, and it is actually something I didn't expect in this show that it does have because we know ultimately where this story has mm. to go. Like mm-hmm. we have basically the entire run of this show was laid out in the first ten minutes of the Fellowship of the Ring with Galadriel's <laughs> prologue.
1: Great prologue. It, oh.
0: Great prologue. Iconic prologue. prologue. Iconic prologue. Um, And so you wouldn't expect there to be a lot of mystery here. Do you know what I mean? But, and yet, the way this show has been designed, or at least season one, is they were giving us things that we expected and also making us scratch our head and wonder about other things. It did have a mystery element to it. It did have a, like, are you paying attention, what's happening here, Sorry, which... I didn't expect and really, really enjoyed, and did make the discussion between episodes really good. At seventy minutes an episode, but also seventy minutes that were quite dense and had a lot going on, mm. shifting between you know different storylines and so forth. I, it was, it, I, it was every week. It was as you said, yep. appointment. Those episodes
1: were long. Mm. I was not bored, and every time Mm-mm. when it an episode ended i was upset <laughs>
0: i was like oh Absolutely. i wanted
1: more they give you a lot in those episodes yeah
0: and there were definitely there were definitely storylines that i cared more about than others 100% but there yeah. were none that i was like oh i hate being here so much why are we still here which is not necessarily the case with other shows that try to do this sort of thing um, i i think it's reducing me relatively quick from me because a lot of what You're saying I 100% agree with. Um, We've already talked about how much I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy from Pierre Jackson, but how disappointed I was with the Hulbert trilogy. I went into this show with excitement and yet scepticism, healthy scepticism, I think, that this could be good. There's just no guarantee. And fantasy is a hard genre to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to pretend that this is a perfect show, but it might be perfect for me, if that makes (laughs) sense. Yeah. On the positives, as you said, the money is on the screen. This show looks gorgeous. The sets, the costumes, the art direction, the visual effects, but also the special effects. I particularly want to make mention of, like, the orcs as a great example, right? Uh, One of the greatest Mm -hmm. sins of the Hobbit trilogy is that the orcs were suddenly CGI. Now, there are reasons this might have been the case, as this Lindsay Ellis video, which I think I'm going to um, put in the show notes is definitely worth a watch. Mm-hmm. Behind the scenes, that production was under a lot of stress to get made quickly rather than the sort of time frame that was given to the Lord of the Rings trilogy yeah, not just in preparation really but execution.
1: Judge the creative team behind The no. Hobbit. There's so much going on there that caused that to be a disaster. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Oh and even from the just they were basically writing that movie on the run. And even yeah. though that to being said, that was sort of true of the Lord of the Rings, but much more luxuriously they had a strong foundation were mm-hmm. building off it and changing as they went it evolved but with the hobbit they were sort of like making that that movie on the run and or those three movies on the run um and but yes the orcs in the in the in the original trilogy lord of the rings trilogy were all practical all the time and looked fantastic those orcai mm-hmm. oh. oh my god incredible work there and it's so great to see that here again mm-hmm. in the rings of power Uh, It also sounds gorgeous. Bear McCreary's soundtrack is Mm -hmm. absolutely stellar. And I didn't- It it doesn't- Like, I wondered, and what we found out on the way, is while New Line are involved in this, they aren't- This isn't a direct or official prequel to the Peter Jackson films. Mm -hmm. So, they aren't using at least- not overtly using the themes from those trilogies. There might be hints of things here and there if you're paying really close attention. Um, but it's a hard thing to match up to Howard Shaw's iconic soundtracks. Mm. And Bear McCreary is doing fucking stellar work.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like when I do like marking um, for, for school, I often listen to The Lord of the Rings. Soundtracks, Wonderful. Um, And now I just have more of that to to listen to, yeah.
0: And some of those themes now are becoming, like, I'm as endeared to them as I am to some of the Howard Shaw music. It's truly fantastic. Uh, To take a phrase from the patron saint of TV podcasting, Joanna Robinson, who I will Mm say, uh, alongside listening, uh, watching the show as, as listening to her podcast, this also, I think one of the greatest assets of the show is just feels like Tolkien it gets mm. the it understands what makes Tolkien's stories as good as they are, why they have lasted and that is from not just the high fantasy point of view but the discussion of the complexities of good and evil of leadership, And some people, I think, some people think that good and evil is very black and white in Lord of the Rings, and it is uh, in some ways. But there is a lot of discussion about gray. You think about characters like Boromir, tragic figures, Gollum. You know, these are not just Mm -hmm. flat out bad people. They are tragic tales of how good people have become bad people. There's a lot of that happening in this show as well. Mm -hmm. I think just the idea of fellowship, unlike companionship on working together, people from different places having to work together to overcome common enemies. All this sort of stuff feels very, very true to Tolkien's work, and that is really, really important to me as well. It also does feel, in the best ways, like Peter Jackson's Law of the Rings. It has Mm -hmm. distinct and direct visual and dialogue references. None of them... All of them have to tiptoe a little bit (laughs) to make sure (laughs) they're not 100% the same. But enough there that if you're a fan and paying attention, those little clues are there. I think that helped also to transition into this because it also is still firmly its own thing. It's not trying to do an impersonation of what Jackson did, but it is certainly trying to build off that work and the strengths of what he brought to the series um, beforehand. There are some standout characters- some pairings that I, that just completely, um, as you were talking about, I became endeared to so quickly mm. um, that really, really tugged at my heartstrings. Um, as a high fantasy show as well, we're seeing a little bit more of this now. Obviously, Game of Thrones has made fantasy TV shows popular again, and we're mm. seeing things like um, uh, The Wheel of Time, also an Amazon show. It exists now. There's the... The, the dark. Witcher. Some, the Witcher, obviously, yes. Um, The other one on HBO that's based on the book series, The Golden Compass was the movie. I can't remember the name of that. So anyway, like the fantasy stuff is sort of out there again. Mm-hmm. I think I just really enjoy that this is sort of, especially when you compare it to Game of Thrones, it's got a little bit more joy, a little bit more magic associated with it. Not to say it isn't dark and serious at times, but we got half it, you know what I mean? We've got little people, <laughs> yeah. you know, getting around with big hairy feet and Irish accents and, like, it's there's something about that that just that wasn't represented in something like Game of Thrones. And they, I think there's really space for it mm. and something that I was really yeah. happy to have. Think,
1: like, and we can talk about it here because it's not spoilers, but that's something that I wanted to touch on as well was that, look, you know, whenever you might be listening to this podcast, this show came out at the same time that, um, was it House of the Dragon? Is it House the, of the Dragon? Dragon yeah, yep, House yep. of the Dragon came out. Uh, obviously, when Game of Thrones was first coming out, we all loved it. I loved it pretty much until we know when. Um, <laughs> like, we were, you know, we were living together at, at that point in time and we'd sit on the couch, get really excited and watch it and love that show. Um. And I think what was really, what really spoke to me, um, the difference of where I think I am mentally and I think maybe a lot of people are mentally is um, watching House of the Dragon and then jumping over to Rings of Power is I am not in a place mentally, (laughs) emotionally um, for a show that is so pessimistic about um, humanity mm-hmm. at all. I think what Tolkien does, and yes, there's so much there is so much gray in his in his stories, and I think people who say it's very good guy versus bad guy are missing a lot of it. Yes, I think so much of it is there is inherent goodness in all of us. We all struggle to move away from the darkness, but the darkness does exist. it exists in all of us. Some of us get lost in it. Some of us find a light and a way out. And so often, the light and the way out is connection and friendship and needing others and relying on others and finding a place based on trust. And that is like such a beautiful story. And so, like, and where I am now, I love that. I don't want to see a show about people who are terrible because it seems like they have to be. I want to show about there are terrible people and you could be a terrible person, but we all have a choice not to be and focusing on those who really try their hardest not to be. That's why like, I really kind of dove headfirst into this show and I'm really struggling with uh, House of the Dragon at the moment.
0: Yeah, we're likely going to review House of the Dragon, so I'll, I'll talk yeah, about yeah. sort of why... I've also struggled to get into that show. I'm hearing that the back half of the season is doing a bit more than the front half was. But there's a few reasons based on where I'm at, but also my feelings on where Game of Thrones ended. If you want to I'll tell you what's been fun this last couple of weeks, um, Ben Schwartz, John Ralphio, uh, the voice of Sonic, has been watching <laughs> Game of Thrones for the first time. He had COVID, so he sort of binged through the first five oh, seasons no. and was like talking his way through it and like people are loving his reactions to like mm. the red wedding and like blah 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 mm-hmm. but it's like everyone's also just waiting it's like what waiting for the the car crash to happen it's <laughs> like yeah you're having a great time now mate but just you're getting you're nearly there I'm um, let's see how you feel when you get to the last two seasons anyway mm. I think what you just said there was so perfect and it made me think when I said joy earlier maybe what I really meant was hope because yeah. what can what can be missing from Game of Thrones all the time is a sense of hope. It's often a sense of hopelessness mm-hmm. is the problem with that show. Whereas if Tolkien is... The Lord of the Rings, if you think about what that story is about of Sam and Frodo with the ring oh, against all odds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, It is about even in the darkest times, there is that hope and that hope that sustains you to keep going. I mean, and that is the kind of stuff I'm getting from Mm. this show. And that's what makes it so Tolkien. And I agree with you exactly what I needed as well. I'm so, so happy we've got a show that's doing that. That also happens to be Lord of the Rings and also happens to be High Fantasy. Um, And I might be an easy mark as well as a a previous fan of this series. But this just hit me like flush as a fan. I was surprisingly emotional just to be returning to this world in some Mm -hmm. ways. Um, when songs are sung, or when little things, knowing things happen that we'll talk about in spoilers, that just like I don't know why, but I'm like bawling now because yeah. this is happening. Just yeah. because and it's I returned think, me to a place. Yeah,
1: it's such such a testament to. Yes, I love the books, but it's such a testament to the amazing work that Peter Jackson and everyone who worked on the the uh, that that trilogy did. To like, you know. We listen to the music all the time. We watch the movies all the time. Mm. It's, you know, just thinking about Sam picking up Frodo on the side of Mount Doom, like, can make me cry at the drop of a hat. Like, it mm-hmm. just, it's so beautifully done and has such a huge heart and we love it. So the fact that we love that so much, I think we bring that goodwill to this show and they have not disappointed me in terms of intention, intentions of their heart about it as well. They understand they're not just making their version of Game of Thrones. They haven't Game of Thronesified this. Yeah, this is a story about hope and friendship, um, and there's just so much of that in there. And I really appreciate that.
0: Uh, we uh, we're going to talk about in spoilers. We need to talk about adaptation. And mm-hmm. what it means to be an adaptation. because mm-hmm. I think sometimes some of the criticisms thrown towards this show are about it as an adaptation. but I think it's important also to understand what's more important in how you adapt a story. Um, whether it's the specifics or whether it's more the overarching feel and themes mm-hmm. and ideas of a mm-hmm. story is more important. but we'll we'll get to that. Uh, we need to spoilers. The- on the negative side. It can be a little laboured and clunky here and there. Um, there is stuff that happens in the final episode or the final couple of episodes that stand out mm-hmm. as being like, oh, a little clunky or, oh, that's that's hard to swallow. Nothing big enough that derailed the story for me, though, but I can't pretend it was always mm-hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. Definitely some stories or elements of the show I cared about more than others. Not every storyline is necessarily hitting as hard as others are. But the ones that didn't always work this season have room and reasons to improve in the next and future seasons. And partly I think there's two things to consider about the negatives. One, they're trying to figure out how to walk a very fine tightrope of keeping this true to the – of adapting these books, which actually aren't even books. They're appendices at the end of books. Stories that aren't (laughs) even fully fleshed out in any way are more of an outline and turn them into a story. Um they're also trying to just—it's their first season doing this. They've got four more to go. They're figuring this all out on the run. This is how most Breaking Bad was not on fire in season one. You know what I mean? It got better as that show went on. If you like Breaking Bad, that's not both. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like it, it, it these shows don't arrive fully formed and at their best mm-hmm. more, more often than not. Um. But also, this is kind of a reintroduction at a setup for what the story has to take place. In in some ways, this is almost, it's, not, it's barely even an Act 1. It's more of a prologue to what's going to happen afterwards in some ways, which is a criticism if you felt like it, it wasn't, it didn't do enough, it didn't get to, you know, it wasn't doing enough week by week to get you engaged on a story level at the time, that's fine, but it did for me but certainly mm. i feel like it's there's so much to build on into season like we are now at a point where the story is going to likely take off i think from mm. here which is great that that's really the negatives for me though overall i wasn't just entertained i was transported back to a world i had been missing greatly and i cannot believe we'll be waiting over a year <laughs> to see any more i hope it does seem like it's been very popular, although it's maybe the online reaction has been less than stellar in some circles. It's doing pretty well from a streaming numbers point of view. Mm -hmm. I think it's been competitive with, if not beating House of the Dragon most of the time. Um, So I think we're going to get those five seasons. Final score, Damask, how would you rate The Rings of Power Season 1 out of five stars? I really
1: struggled to decide on a number, right? (laughs) right. So I had, like, my head saying one thing and my heart saying one thing. So Uh my head is obviously someone who is reviewing television and, like, in terms of a recommendation and trying to be a little bit – I mean, everything's subjective, but a little bit more objective about it. Mm -hmm. And then I've got my heart who loves the world and, you know, was very emotional about certain aspects of the show and was just, you know, a happy little kid again. Um, So I'm going to follow – Tolkien's um, path, and I'm going to go with my heart. Uh, and this is how I, how it made me feel. Okay, that's that's where I'm rating it from. So I'm giving it a four.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Interestingly, I could have gone higher with my heart, <laughs> but I'm going to give it a four as well. I think it is excellent i think there are elements that aren't so great i think there are elements that are masterful and it mastered me but i think there is a room for this show to get even better um and b yeah i think if i'm comparing it to shows i've given fives to it's not there yet yeah. like comparing to shows i've given 4.5s to yeah, i couldn't i it could i could make the argument but i think four is probably a well-reasoned position for this for this show mm-hmm
1: Before we simply walk into spoilers, you must take heed. Do not allow our podcast to be forgotten by the ages. Bestow upon us reviews of light on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For nothing can be undone or fall into darkness if it is bound by the power of an algorithm. Now it's your turn.
0: What am I meant to do now? I'll do it in Irish. And to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. <laughs> uh, I would have loved a heads up. I, I, know, I,
1: I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I'm not. <laughs>
0: How dare you?
1: Do not betray your friends. Gift them a temptation forged in the fires of podcasting or- all shall love it and despair, for none can resist the power of hunting seasons.
0: Next week, we'll be back with our review of she Season 1. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of she or if you have any thoughts on the Rings of Power, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at ontinseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at ontin They I got more northern the more <laughs> I did it.
1: I like, <laughs> Where are you from, bro? But
0: yeah. right now, let's talk spoilers for The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power Season 1. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. All right, we got a lot to get done in our deep dive discussion in a mm. short amount of time. Yeah. I want to start quickly. Uh, I sent out a, a tweet asking people if they had any thoughts, any questions, anything they want to discuss in particular. My brother Liam replied. Thank you, Liam, for you. not leaving my request there hanging. Um, he asks, why do you think there has been such backlash? And yet, in his opinion and our opinion, it's been one of the best shows of the year. Damas do you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think there's obviously, a, you know, a large amount of people who have grown up with Tolkien and loved it so dearly. Just, I think, as we have, um, however, and we've spoken about this before, I think, in quite a few, like, off-topic, off-topic hot topics regarding star wars and things and Mm -hmm. i think a sense of not only ownership i think we can all feel a sense of ownership about stories that we love but a sense of um entitlement um to getting exactly what you want now you can be up upset about certain choices that's that's totally valid um it's it's if it's vitriolic i have Issues with it, but I just I think it comes down to people really loving something um, and it being a sacred text to many many people um, because Tolkien is a genius and he um, is a language god and his writing is beautiful um, and so to try and compete with that is really hard. I personally think the writers did a really good job um, of not replicating, but certainly getting the essence of Tolkien. Um, I think they did, yeah, really good, really well with it. Um, But people feel upset when things aren't how they want them to be. And certain people take that on, like, okay, it's not for me and leave it there. And there are some people who take that on, get personally offended by it and feel the need to, um, Poop all over things, <laughs> and just and they get angry and they feel the need to express that anger in sometimes really um, unnecessary ways.
0: Yeah, I think there are three main tracks of like criticism towards this show. There's someone like David Chen who just doesn't seem to be enjoying the show, mm-hmm. and that's fine. I think there can be reasons that, of course, as yeah. I said, I think it can be clunky at times. I think it maybe is mm, hasn't from a story perspective hasn't had as much forward momentum as people maybe wanted it was more Mm -hmm. of building up to something that then can become a greater story hopefully setting up relationships so that they can be tested later on etc and if like that wasn't enough for you then i can understand why you didn't love this show yeah i'm
1: certainly not saying that only positive opinions have value (laughs) i don't think that's productive um for any kind of creative thing that exists i think that there should always be healthy debate around it but the key word there is healthy
0: then there's this second tract which is sort of the tolkien purist or faithfuls who are having trouble with some of the choices that are being made in adapting this story which is interesting because it's not to say I, i think we are guilty of also having similar issues with certain texts, the one that comes I mean, to mind.
1: my feelings about Hester Shaw's representation so exactly, brings ex- that to mind. So ex- I chose not to watch the film.
0: Yeah, Mortal and Engines, I, yeah. that yeah. film, and our, we had very specific ideas about what we wanted from that uh, movie. Um, and I will
1: say that I think <laughs> my opinion about that was about something that is very important to the story itself.
0: Correct. And it so, wasn't but, just
1: a different creative choice. It was a choice that I think devalued what was important about that story.
0: Well, I think that's that's my thoughts on some of the criticisms, again, coming from a puristic point of view mm. of Tolkien's text, as though it is sacred, as, you know, cannot be altered or changed or adapted without, you know, extreme... With, with, it, sure, it is adapted with extreme care, I think, but with that it cannot be changed because it is like sacrosanct or whatever mm. isn't... The pro, well, that, if that's the feeling, I think that's, that's a problem. The, the thing about adaptation, particularly when you're adapting a story, I think there's a few things. This story is not really a story that makes sense. It's an outline of a story in the appendices of Lord of the Rings. Tolkien never got around to, and never, I don't think intended to, making this story into a book trilogy or anything like that, Mm. for instance. And so, Already, there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done to not just take dot points of an idea of a myth- of a mythology and actually turn it into a story that's full of characters and arcs and, like, connections and all those sorts mm. of things. And once you're doing that, it all becomes way more complex mm. when you have to be thinking about motive and, like, there's so much mm. that has to go on. And so, already, change is going to have to be made. And yeah, that's I- fair. I
1: think, yeah, I think what's important and I can understand someone feeling like a text is sacred and I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with feeling that way about something that you love and uh, an artist that you love as well and their work. Um, I think we also need to remember that um, medium is the message, right? Yeah. And so television is very different from a novel or a series of novels um, they're, they're just completely different mediums. And so if we're talking about trying to distill the essence of that narrative over like what, hundreds of years, if not more, I'm not exactly sure on the timeline, um, into five seasons of television and making it satisfying and compelling television, naturally changes need to be made. We cannot expect the experience of reading a book from watching a television show. They're just entirely different.
0: And that's one of the things, like the timeline shifts to some of the big criticisms because basically this story should have taken place over a couple of thousand years, I think. Right, and it's yeah. being condensed into basically one lifetime or humanorian lifetime we don't really know exactly how mm. long but something closer to a human lifetime for the sake of making sure that we've got characters who are there from the first season all the way to the end and mm-hmm. that we're not having to go and 500 years later yes the elves are still here but the dwarves and the humans aren't anymore and the half it's mm-hmm. aren't like which i'm not saying it's impossible to do but i think it's smart from an adaptation point of view to yes. make Keep our characters from season one to season five while adding new ones consistent. You want a consistent emotional through line. I don't Mm -hmm. think I think that is just good storytelling and good adaptation. So, but I understand why that people, you know, might be disappointed to see that. But this is where you have to approach it and go, okay, I'm disappointed it's not this way because that's the way I've always liked it, but why was this change made and is it still in line with the values and the ideas of, and the themes of the story? I There are changes in the Harry Potter films, for instance, mm-hmm. that I'm disappointed certain things are missing, but I also understand why they're not there or why they were changed or why things happen in the movies that don't happen in the books that... Work better, work well in the movies because the movies are adaptation of that story. It it doesn't negate what the books are doing. And I hate to even use Harry Potter's example because I try not to.
1: Don't mention it, yeah. But
0: certainly I'm not spending money in that universe anymore at the very least. But those stories were important to me. And both things can exist and they don't negate each other, right? If you. This isn't the new canon. If you don't like it, fine. But is it possible that maybe you can try to understand why they're doing this and while it's different to what you expected, enjoy it for what it is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really, really possible. I think thematically, and this is the when I was using the Mortal Engines as an example, that change with Hester Shaw that we're talking about mm-hmm. fundamentally changed the thematic message behind that yes. character, what that character was about. Yes. And that is why that one cut us so deeply. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I'm, I'm not... i am Fully across the law, but I don't think there are the changes in this story are ones that fundamentally alter the thematic resonance of this tale, if mm-hmm. that makes sense from its original source.
1: And if we're wrong on that, then we're wrong, because we Maybe. aren't we aren't over that. But from what I know of it, um I-, I agree with what you're saying.
0: Then there's the third stream, which I'll only briefly talk about, which is just People being bigots and fuckheads, who, when Elon Musk gets out after the premiere of um, this series, comes out and says Galadriel is a Mary Sue. She's good at everything, and everyone else, especially the men, are bad. It's like a. Not only are you wrong, (laughs) if you just watch the fucking season, because we're in spoilers, we can talk about this, isn't
1: it? Yeah,
0: Galadriel's fucked up big time. This was always her arc. Mm -hmm. It is set up in the very first episode that the, f- the wind that seeks to put out a flame may also spread it is exactly what fucking happened. She yep. brought Sauron to a place of power, and she fucked up because of her own pride. It was always going to be a tale about her weaknesses, and her arc will be her trying to overcome them. Whether she yes. succeeds or fails, we will see along the way. But this idea that she was a fucking Mary Sue, the most hollow and... It's, sort so of it's so disgusting criticism it's reductive so reductive in so many ways and then because elon musk fucking says it that every tech bro wannabe who who bows down to this dickhead decides that that's the, that's what they're going to go with and they're going to push that by the end of the criticism I was saying was like at the start of the season she's Mary Sue who can do no wrong. And at the end of the season, it's like, how could Galadriel have fucked up that bad? It's like, pick a fucking lane. <laughs> you can't be you can't have it yeah. both ways. Either you want to be she's a flawed character to or you be don't.
1: A strong, determined warrior. She's not allowed to make any like intellectual or emotional mistakes at all. Like, what do you want from this? They don't woman? want a character,
0: but they, they didn't want a character. Yeah. And so that stuff. That's just all bad faith bullshit anyway. That's people who never could yeah. have liked it because they decided to cast some people of colour in some roles and make the make the show centred. And it's not even like, like it's partially centred around Galadriel. There's lots of different story threads going on that don't directly connect back to her. But mm-hmm. sure, she's the centrepiece about yeah. a woman. Yeah, And that's, that is, and unfortunately, that's some of the loudest stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And it's disgusting and should not be considered as being valid criticism as far as concerned. Yeah. That's my general thoughts on Liam's question. <laughs> Let's get to talking about... I
1: totally forgot that started with a question. <laughs> Amazing.
0: Yeah. Let's start talking about the show itself, the storylines. Mm-hmm. Uh, where would you like to start? Is there a particular storyline? Should we just start with Gladian Howe? G- Gal and Howe?
1: Yeah, Gal and Howe. Let's start with them.
0: So, obviously coming into this, big Big swinged, well, just always gonna be a challenge to cast Galadriel as someone that isn't Kate, Kate, Kate Blanchett after she sort of mm-hmm. owns that role in the uh, Peter Jackson trilogy. Uh, uh, just ha- before
1: you go on, I need yes. to state, and I've said this before in a previous episode the only time I have been starstruck is when I saw Kate Blanchett because she's, she's Galadriel and I walked past her like I had seen Galadriel and I floated away. Like I just, I mesmerizing like that casting is so good. she's amazing so to be cast in the role of Galadriel is a huge ask a huge task and um not for the faint of heart and i I'm happy with their choice
0: There's a lot going on yeah, I'm happy with the choice as well I think um it's a great performance. It's a tough performance so again tough, yeah but also you're playing a character who is extremely Headstrong, determined, has so much belief that they're right and other people are wrong. Humilous. Um, <laughs> absolutely And ultimately has to be a flawed character as mm-hmm. well. Um, and trying to keep you on board with that can be difficult. But overall, I found her extremely compelling. If we just get straight to the end of it, we've got, well, let's quickly go through, yes, we get the flashbacks to what happened with her brother, she's trying to find Sauron, elves think that he's gone, Mm. they need to get her out of here because there's a sense that she might actually bring him about.
1: Sorry, I I don't want to brush over that because I think it's really important to state that, yeah, she's like, I I wrote my notes, she is a tough cookie and she makes some really bold Mm -hmm. choices and is quite confrontational and... Um, hard-headed and all of that stuff. And that can be the type of, you know, character traits that I really don't like to watch. However, I think the the folding in of um the loss that she's experienced, mm-hmm. obviously, yes, of her brother, but just simply, like, she's been through a, a world of changes, you know, simply being an elf, but also through her personal experiences as Galadriel. Weaving that amount of pain and confusion and desperation for there to be a reason for that suffering, to stamp out evil, to stamp out the darkness externally so she can do it internally mm. is such a wonderful way to make her empathetic uh, sorry endearing to the audience at home and I think they did a really good job of that because it could have been a really hard character to want to watch but I did I, I felt the pain and I understood where that level of determination came from
0: this the idea that to heal the darkness within she has to defeat the darkness that sort of is crept into the world is a really mm-hmm. interesting place as well, because it just seems extremely flawed from the beginning. This is, you know, mm. getting revenge for your brother's death is not yeah. going to be the thing that sort of, you know, puts out the that that hurt inside you. Um, and so already, yeah, she's on a troubled path. Um, it's also interesting though that, that you said that as well, because she's just not naturally... Uh, a charisma, she has a low charisma score, right? If she was a DD <laughs> character, she's not yeah. convincing. She's taking, she's dragging these soldiers along to frozen wastelands trying to find a Sauron guy. They're all like, he's fucking gone, you know, yeah. we're leaving. Um, she's being sent on her way. People just are worried that she's causing problems. And, but as determined as she is, she's just not really a leader of elves or men and she's mm-hmm. not she's not swaying people's hearts. So then she gets connected to this lost king of the Southlands, this guy who is all about charisma and being able to talk his way out of a situation and um, who ultimately ends up being Sauron. And he was a deceiver and a seducer and it makes perfect sense. And what I loved is I'd never really made, well, Galadriel that we meet in The Lord of the Rings is much further along. So, to set her in this place where, yes, she's determined, she's a warrior, she's capable, she's strong, but she's not convincing anybody that, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in, in what she believes and to connect her with somebody who is not just seducing her but can teach her how to be more compelling, more charismatic to to get people on her side is a great way to connect her to this this darkness, this ultimate evil in Sauron, I thought was very, very smart.
1: Yeah, I think I like it um, more as you're explaining it to me than the execution of... Sure. Um, of What's his name? Halibrand? Hal-brand. Halbrand. We can Hal-brand. just call him
0: Sauron if you want.
1: Sauron. Um, I think because I knew Galadriel was married and I've never like, heard a whisper of a love interest. So this Mm -hmm. guy, he's on the scene and I found him a bit cocky and a bit skeezy, to be honest with you. And my image in my brain of Sauron quite early on, I was like, well, this guy's definitely Sauron.
0: Yeah. You picked it Um, earlier than me.
1: Yeah. Particularly. I think when they go to, was it, uh, Numenor, Mm -hmm. because he mentions being a blacksmith. I was like, well, there we go. That's definitely Sauron. Um, so I, th- I think I – and this is just like how I envisioned the character and so I had certain expectations that affected my experience watching it. But I really wanted to see this incredible deceptive charm and mm-hmm. I didn't find the character charming. Um, and, I mean, I, I, one, I hate charm. So what I wanted was more – subtlety, I guess, in his um, ability to be a great deceiver, you know, Mm -hmm. silently political and masterful in that way. That's what I wanted. Um, So, yeah, one, I I didn't trust him, but I also wanted to be like, but I get why Galadriel is being or anyone is being seduced. And I think a part of the problem with that is that I would have liked – more time in Numenor and seeing him kind of infiltrate that system uh, mm-hmm. politically, um, as well as the time when he's with the elves as well. So I, if for me it was just, a, a even though we have like 70-minute episodes, for me it was a lack of time to really see how good this guy was at manipulating people, whereas maybe because I'm a gay woman, I'm like, I don't trust him. As soon <laughs> as he, he rocked up, I was like, I do not trust that guy.
0: I think on there's a few different things going on there. I think one, I think the series was mentioned. The season was originally meant to be ten episodes, and because mm-hmm. of like COVID stuff, it got reduced to eight. Mm. So maybe there was some stuff that was sort of condensed that could have been a bit smoother. I think I think you're right though. I think I think in some ways the deception that was going on here was more with how the Halbrand Sauron situation was being presented on a meta level rather than on necessarily what the work. How brand Sauron was doing to be deceptive. Mm, yeah. yeah. There's a couple yeah. of things to consider Got here, you though. There. It's like, well, on one hand, they would did something clever, I think, from a meta point of view, by making him, like, an Aragorn type, right? <laughs> this is a strider. He mm. is this roguish man who is really the heir to the throne of men, and you're like- it, it, you're either on board for that and go, oh, it's another Aragorn type, I like this guy. Or if you don't, you're like, oh, another Aragorn type. But either way, when the, they, your reveal is he's Sauron, they've pulled the rug from under you and it's like, it's still mm. a satisfying reveal, whichever way you do yeah. it.
1: I mean, I think the fact that he was so Aragorn-esque made me go, this guy's uh, Sauron. Because I didn't believe that they would have a character so similar in so many ways to aragorn
0: well, um, I'm sure that was a criticism. I can't believe they've done the Aragorn th- trope again. Well, well they're doing they, that for a they reason. Just, yeah,
1: that's, well, that's what I figured. I'm like, well, that's that's purposeful. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's you need to give the Rise credit. Cre- they understood yeah. what they were doing there. Um, on another level, I think they made Galadriel. Galadriel, a lot of the time, seems to be the one making the assumptions here. It's not even necessarily something that Halbrand Sauron does. It's Galadriel's like- That crest, you're actually that lost king, aren't you? And he doesn't have Mm -hmm. to say shit. In fact, Mm -hmm. he can say everything he wants or he chooses his words carefully to stay vague. But ultimately, it's Galadriel's the one that's like, oh, this is like preordained. This is predestined. I was meant to meet you. This is Mm -hmm. a bigger plan and whatever. And like, she's the one who's making these assumptions. And it's not until the very end she starts to go, hold on a second. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Whoopsie.
0: Whoopsie. Um then, for me, I think when I started to, was like, I'm sure... Because there was a lot of good theories around how Brand is wound. Well, it's like, will he be the witch king or one of the mm. Nazgul, perhaps? Could he be the king that made the promise um, and broke their oath? The ones that become, like, the ghost army that yeah. appear in Return the mm-hmm. King? Could he be that king? But when he started talking about... He's in the cell with Galadriel and Numenor. He's, like, talking about how... To master your enemies, you give them the power to master those things they fear most. And I was like, that's the most Sauron-y thing I've ever fucking heard <laughs> in my life. This guy's Sauron, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, and even when they, in the last episode, they tried to say that the stranger was Sauron, was like, fucking liars. Don't even try this shit with me. There's no way this I is dare. true. How dare you. How dare you try that shit? Mm-hmm. Um, the, how do you feel about, like... What is essentially, what is the, the sort of Sauron-Galadriel almost romance we have mm. happening here?
1: There seems to be like when they were talking about being on the battlefield together and like, yeah, mm. I felt it too. I'm like, they're talking about like sexual chemistry, right? Like that's what's going on. So there's like this kind of kinetic like energy between them. I'm like, well, this is quite a turn that I didn't <laughs> expect. Um, yeah, I think- it was a part of why i was quite sure that he was sauron because i just sure. did not believe that they would give galadriel a love interest mm-hmm. i was pretty certain about that so i was like well he's gonna he's gonna be evil um yeah I don't, I don't i don't know i just like sauron is like such a huge presence in my mind i think like one the books but also from the films of just being this larger-than-life presence, I I will admit I don't think any interpretation would have fully satisfied me.
0: It's really hard to because he's such an outline even yes. in The Lord of the Rings, right? It's like he's the eye of Sauron more than anything else. He's a voice maybe in Frodo's head when he's put the ring on, whatever it might be. He's not really a character. He is an, he's no. a force, More than anything else. And so when you then have to start telling a story about like the origins Mm. of this character, what happens to him before the ring is cut from his hand and becomes the disembodied version of Sauron that we meet or that we're, you know, familiar with from The Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of space to fill Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of built up expectation about this guy. And I- I don't think if you made Sauron just a mustache twirling
1: oh, no, evil
0: villain would work. Mm. Like, that's going to be too that's, simple. It can't be a yeah. Voldemort. That's the thing I like was
1: thinking about was obviously some of the, like, the way that they've constructed this season um, is very much about the mystery of who is Sauron. Mm-hmm. And I think while that kind of stuff can be enjoyable and I think was enjoyable for a lot of people, I... Don't think it would have been to the detriment of the show if we maybe didn't know but very much suspected that this person was Sauron as an audience, but seemed like such a warm and lovely and endearing person within the show itself. Like you You, totally
0: think it was it didn't go enough in the direction of being seductive or like Yeah. Yeah. Charismatic in that regard. Yeah, I'm I'm not I don't disagree with you. I think they could have gone a lot further with it. I think they deliberately wanted to have the breadcrumbs pretty apparent, that like, people could guess it. Mm-hmm. And like clues like, you know, he talks his way out of tough situations a few times, but eventually get has to get into a fight and break a guy's arm. Mm-hmm. You know, like it they were deliberately trying to make sure you know this guy has a dark side. The other thing is I think, I don't think this has all just been a game of him wanting to, like, get to the elves and make the rings. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of played out that way for him. I think there is, and there's a suggestion even in the Tolkien letters from what I understand, that Sauron did have some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Regrets is not the word. He was remorseful after Morgoth's defeat. And that when he talks about things like when the, the fist of Morgoth, you know, left his throat that there was a sense of relief and that he wants to heal Middle Earth. It's just that the way he wants to heal it, it's kind of like the comparison that was made in other podcasts I listened to, but I thought about this too. It's kind of like um uh Michael Jordan's character in Black Panther. It's like you agree with the idea and concept, you don't agree with the execution. It's like okay, this guy might have the power to heal Middle-earth, but he's going to do it by ruling his way and with um, complete control, and that's the bit that makes it a problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it's
1: very much like... Um,
0: Adar's stuff is a bit similar to that too, because it's all like, I just want to place my fucking orcs to live. And it's like, that's a that's a noble cause, but blow up a yeah. volcano and killing <laughs> humans along the way is yeah, a problem. Yeah, I
1: think it's like... Yeah, I don't want to bring too... I I would not like to have too much humanity in Sauron. I think complexity is good, but I, th- mm-hmm. I would prefer the complexity to be around someone who fought for the side that lost and um, the lessons that he learnt were that. Um, I don't disagree with the methods or the ideology of um, my master. I just think I'm better, and I shouldn't. Sure. I should never be a follower. I should always be a leader, and that's who I am. Like it's a much darker, more narcissistic complexity than him. Um, I don't want. I don't want to feel empathy with Sauron. I really, I'm really not interested in like Kylo Ren, Sauron. Like that's just not that what which I'm is one
0: hundred percent what we're getting. And I. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm fine with that. I'm actually quite into this Galadriel-Sound connection. I don't think it's ever going to be a romance, but I like that there is some attraction there between the two. It's not Oh, the seduction love, and
1: attraction that like all that stuff is totally fine. But particularly speaks,
0: between those two as yeah, well as what quite Which
1: like. for me is fine. I think mm. that speaks to- um, the seduction of Sauron that is mm-hmm. obviously infused within the Ring, and we see Gladriel obviously um, in the Fellowship being seduced by that, and like this idea as he says to her in this kind of dreamscape, wrath oh. thing of like, "I will make you a queen um, that is, you know, loved and feared, and all this stuff, and is stronger
0: than the foundations, the foundations, of, foundations the earth. of the
1: earth, and all mm. that stuff. Like Goosebumps. all all of that is good, or like I I don't mind." That complexity. Love that. I Thanks. really don't want um, sad boy Sauron. Like, that's just- Do
0: you think and that's it's- what it is, though? I don't think there is sad boy Sauron. It's not, not like yet. Emo not Karlo yet. Ren. No, no
1: I, I'm I not see seeing that in the show at all. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, that is not me giving a criticism of what I've seen. See what saying. It's just me saying, for the future, that's not what I want. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. go down that path.
0: Oh, I don't I don't think that's where it's going. I don't yeah, think it's cool, going to cool, be cool. Emo, yeah. emo Sauron. I don't think that's it. But I do think this, like- that there is, some, he genuinely did want to make a a turn, or at least an attempt at a turn for good. The the Sauron version to turn for good, mm-hmm. that ultimately just leads to him going, well, when I do this though, I keep putting myself in a position of power, and I should be the one to be making these decisions and ruling because I am better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Is uh, an arc that I don't hate. Um, I'd be fine to explore it more, and I think also. Where the complexity in Sauron is going to come up is that he's going to be taking advantage of some legitimate beefs between, mm-hmm. like, the elves and the dwarves. Yes, and he- I'm really excited for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, like, the setup for, like, the Durin-Elron stuff, which we need to get to very quickly, to to fall apart because there's this mistrust and distrust. Yes. Yes, for yes, Durin, because if he's going on problems with his dad, for mm-hmm. Sauron to be whispering in the ear and- and influencing what are legitimately problematic areas where there is real tension and, like, th- these are problems that need to be sorted out. Yeah. But once Sauron gets involved, it gets it gets nasty and violent, mm. is like, the potential for that to play out is very exciting to me. I, like, I yeah, uh,
1: 100% agree. I think, because obviously, you know, we don't just have those three rings of power. We have- you know, a bunch given to Seven the dwarves. Seven for the dwarf lords, and, nine and for, for, the men. for men. So, And I think as we see throughout this season, and I'm sure going forward we will as well, is just how much, like, racism and division mm-hmm. there is within the world, and that is absolutely, you know, ripe for anyone who wants to uh, darkly influence and take advantage of... Um, to you know infiltrate the dwarves um mm-hmm. i don't i i would be shocked if sauron didn't take a new form in terms of infiltrating men and infiltrating dwarves and um and hopefully we will see that really kind of beautiful deception that he's known for in terms of getting them their own rings of power mm-hmm. um and wanting to yeah, protect the elves themselves yeah they're
0: not they're not yeah. sharing them anymore what no. about us yeah yeah, yeah. just
1: that story of the feeding the fear, um, succumbing to fear and making really short-sighted decisions because you are so afraid and you do not trust those around you um, and and making them all weaker in the s- per season every step until we get, obviously, until they finally realize the mistakes they've made and band together to, you know, win that final battle. I'm Absolutely. really excited about all that stuff. 100%.
0: I honestly keep talking about this for ages, but we have to move on, unfortunately. We do. (laughs) Um, This was always going to be a struggle. Uh, Let's, since we've already talked about it a little bit, um, how do you feel about the Elrond and stuff?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, I really just, at the very top, need to say I loved it. (laughs) I love, love, loved it. One just like on the the Duran side of things, seeing Cousin Doom, um, yes, going to was Cousin at its prime, amazing. Weirdly, like one, yes, awe inspiring, but two, quite emotional. And I think what this show is doing really well, and I think it's really hard for a prequel series or film or whatever it is to do, is um, we know where this is going, particularly in terms of khazad We know where this is going, where this is headed. Mm -hmm. However, it is not lessened by that knowledge. In fact, it is enhanced by it because of the character work they do with Durin, his wife, their family, his father, Um, the beauty that is that civilization, the culture that exists there. Um, it's knowing what is to come feeds every scene with such tragedy and what I found really interesting was like my own personal like conflict with this guy loves his friend Auron so much and he wants to save them so much. I want him to save them because he's a good man and he wants to save his friend. And I'm like, yes, do it. And yet, I know that in doing so, he is dooming his own people, and I just want to cry about it. Um, and that beautiful tension makes those scenes so compelling and so tragic. Um, in terms of the Durin and Alron friendship, oh my gosh, um, I'm clutching my face right now because I just like feel so much about it. There is such love. There and such deep respect, and both of them are fighting against cultures and ideologies that have taught them to think less of one another. But through, and we don't really get the details of their history, but we know that they have grown to love each other so much, um, and would do anything for each other, but are conflicted um, by the requirements of their own people and. How all of that plays out, I just, I loved it. I loved it.
0: Uh, quick side note: I don't know why I've never connected this as much as I should have. But our, our D and D characters are doing the whole lessons. Oh my gosh,
1: we're I never doing this too. Either.
0: we're doing the dwarf and elf thing, being friends. Thing. Well,
1: I'm a half elf, but yeah, oh close my enough. God. So is Elrond. We, He's a half elf we, as well. We became friends very quickly though, and we did. That's uh, true. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our DM is annoyed by that. He doesn't want that to happen again in the next campaign. Anyway. I know. Um yeah, hundred percent agree with all of this. There was a sense of like Macbeth tragedy in the last sort of stuff with Duran and Disa when they're mm-hmm. talking about like Durin the Third and his stubbornness and his like unwillingness to let Duran the Fourth sort of be his own dwarf and to you know mm-hmm. have his own ambition and so forth. There was this element of like we're going to have to murder the king if we're going to make you king. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, like you said, there, it's a Shakespearean tragedy happening. Just in terms of what we know is going to happen to Casadum, absolutely. Um, I, I love that about it. But to me, the, all of this only works because of how much I fucking love the Elrond and Dura and stuff.
1: It's so beautiful. It's yeah. so
0: fantastic when they when Elrond first arrives and he hasn't seen his mate. In what 50 years or something like that, he's 20, missed his wedding 20, 20 years. Yep. Missed I guess, that's the thing about elves, you know, they struggle yeah. with keeping well, track Alron
1: of Alron. Says he's like, Has it only been 20? And poor Duran's been like, You miss my whole life, by the way, friend. Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. Um, but that, like, getting past that friction, first of all, then sort of starting to trust each other again and then having to deal with, like, the me-thrill of it all, the mm-hmm. secret that Durin had that Elrond was suspicious of was keeping something from him, but he's ultimately having to to uh, make an oath with Durin, which is a big deal. And then, especially to Elrond, if you look at how he talks about oaths in, in mm. Lord of the Rings and stuff. Um, but And then, ultimately, like, I, th- to me, the, the pinnacle of it was... When he come, Elrond comes to Durin. Like we need this Mithril to help to save the Elves, and when he gets the no from his dad, and they start talking about you know, Namari, eh? it's like it's it's not simply farewell. Oh my mm. god! And Durin mm. is sobbing, yeah. and yeah. like I'm sobbing because of it, and then them. Getting, you know, secretly mining away from the Mithril and mm-hmm. um, talking about their secret names and everyone, like, you no, know, save it to the other side and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh my fucking God.
1: Yeah. I think, like, <laughs> so there's a few moments in there I want to kind of sit with for a moment is obviously they just have such a, a playful nature, obviously, when Durin is with the elves and talking mm-hmm. about the table, that sacred stone, yeah. and that being not true. I was like, that's a pretty good joke. Mm-hmm. Um and then Alrond I, I love Alrond. Like he's such a beautiful character. Um but him just being like I you know, I kind of kneel before you like I I am asking you as my friend to please save my life and Durin's response being like of course I will. Like there mm-hmm. is no choice there. Of course I you are my friend. I love you. Of course, I'm going to save you. Like that was so beautiful. And then obviously he then has to come up against his father who is, you know, not only his dad, which is huge, but the King um, and dwarves are such, are such a proud people um, that huge amount of conflict, but he ultimately knows what his values are and what is right. And, and he has the support of his wife being like, I I cannot let my friend die. Like, I just, I I can't do that. If there is an option to save him, I will. And Elrond never pushing or mm. manipulating to a point of ultimate deception and betrayal. He He needs this and his king is very much like, do whatever you need to, but he's like, what I need to do in terms of me and my friend is be honest with him about what I need, and if he can't give it, then he can't give it, and that's okay. Um, yeah, it, it it was just a beautiful friendship to see, and I I really
0: loved it. He's a politician, but he's also mm-hmm. a good friend. It's like he's, just he's a good person. Both- like yeah. he's
1: oh, he's so beautiful.
0: Does that actor evoke Hugo Weaving to you? Because he doesn't a heap for me, and it doesn't make a fucking lick of difference. Well, that's what I was going to say. I
1: was like, not really, um, but it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Like, I'm so in love with the character of Elrond. It still
0: feels consistent of Elrond, and like, yeah, like you can see,
1: just this this elf is a leader, and like the perfect example of leadership, which is selfless and considered and kind. Um, and there is, and he shows that there is so much power in leading that way. Um, yeah, I love him.
0: Uh, I think we need to move on to keep things going. Yeah. Kind of quickly want to go over the next two sections. Okay. Just generally how you felt about the Numenorians, about Elendil, about Isildur, mm-hmm. about... Um, uh, the Queen's name is it Marin? I've or something forgot. Muriel, thank you. Yeah. Muriel. About that sort of stuff. Because for me, this was a section I could have either done with more of or less of. I'm not really sure. It's it's not mm. super compelling yet. I loved being in Numenor. I loved seeing Numenor, like sailing yeah. into Numenor for the first time was a massive thrill because I've always wanted to see, you know, the Isle of Men. Yeah. Um
1: Yeah, I think for me, um and this comes back to that Halbrand stuff, is that I think if Galadriel had, you know, been picked up by, was it Elendil? Elindil? Elendil?
0: Elendil. Elendil.
1: Who knows? Um, if she'd been picked up by him, taken to Numenor, and there in that place is um, Halbrand, who is politically influential, um, and we understand the politics of of that place because clearly there's a lot going on. They start off from one space of being great friends with the elves, being the only men who stood up against Morgoth and all of that stuff and yet have um, slowly descended into mistrust um, and resentment Mm. and there's a lot of political stuff going on there and here is this human and he could still be like, I'm a secret King of the Southlands or whatever. Absolutely. He's There's a the backstory like,
0: that he's not a Numenorian. He's like, comes yeah. from the Southlands or something like that. That could yeah, have yeah. been
1: real. And we could have gone to the politics and seeing yeah. him doing all that politicking and stuff. Like, I think I wanted more time there based around um, men. Cause, like, you know, at the very beginning of Fellowship, uh, Galadriel says the one thing men like crave is power that is what they value and really diving into that and what that looks like the pinnacle of men which is Numenor like that would Mm -hmm. have been amazing so I think I wanted more and maybe like yeah I think I wanted more time there um I I think I understand the society
0: I think just politically it's like this is where if you're going to compare it to Game of Thrones at all. Game of Thrones and those series do politics so well. And the mm-hmm. politics level of it is important here because ultimately it's going to lead to the fall of Numenor if you understand sort of where this is going. But like the politics are kind of just cookie cutter, you know. Yes. It's like yeah. oh, some people like elves, some people don't. Um, Would it have been
1: great if like Hellbrand looked like in the world- Tyrion, like, in terms of, mm. like, how he was with people, how good he was mm. um, with people. And then we learn that his Sauron would have been yeah. the biggest, like, blowing up of the mind. Um, that's kind of, like, the vibe I wanted from Numenor. But I agree, like, it was missing something. And I think for me, that's what it was missing was the, po- yeah, the, that kind of Game Thrones-y, yeah, politics stuff uh, could have been could have been great.
0: The good news is we go. We, they've gone back to Numenor, um, and I think if there's any part of this story that's like a setup for where for things mm. to get better, it's like Numenor. Yeah, the
1: death of the king, and obviously things are going death to be changing king. very rapidly Mi- there. Yeah.
0: Muriel, no, Miri- Muriel? Muriel Muriel, yeah, Muriel now blind. I think you can see that she's had as, as is often like the sim- symbolism when you. You lose your vision, you have a change in perception. Uh Alendil's in a different place now that he thinks Sildor's dead. It's obviously not. Mm-hmm. But like the there is room for that stuff to get way better. And even maybe having understanding that's a weakness and getting some different writers in who maybe are better with that sort of stuff going forward. Yeah. Ryan Cogman's or something like that from like Game of Thrones style. Anyway, I don't know. But I think there's room for that stuff to get better and there's it to be potential. a lot more satisfying yeah. going forward because of where we leave mm. things off. But I and don't who
1: ha- knows like Sarah might come back in a different form to Numenor and Maybe. Like, play a part. Like who knows where that's going to go? Yeah. Could
0: could you even kill a guy and replace him with yourself to be that person yeah. or something like that? You know? Yeah. Um. And I like it got there were some clunk in here too. Alendil's daughter being the one who happened to be in the room with the mm-hmm. king and got to see the Palantir, and we don't know what it's up for, but, like, that was really, really, like, shoehorned that moment in the last episode. Yeah. That and a moment with the Southlanders we're going to talk about in a second were the two moments of me just going, yuck, <laughs> this did not work right, particularly what,
1: well, well. What's the Southland?
0: Well, I did also want to ask just generally first, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the Southlanders, particularly... Arondi, who's not a Southlander, he's an elf, but his relationship with Bronwyn, and then Theo, he finds, like, the key alongside the Adar and the Orc stuff. There's a lot going on in this section, too.
1: Yeah. Uh, What's Bronwyn's son's name? Theo. 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 Didn't like him. Yeah, didn't Um, like Theo much at all. I mean, I never like a petulant, surly teenager in a TV show. Like, it's just, it's one note, it's annoying, I'm like get this character off my screen. So, I didn't like Theo. Mm-hmm. Um, the one note I wrote about Bronwyn was that she's almost too beautiful. She certainly wasn't as rustic as those around her. Um, and I don't know what herbs she's putting on her face at night, but <laughs> I want some. Um...
0: <laughs> I think she's been sort of filling her lips with some of uh, those herbs. I'm not sure. All right,
1: I'm not going I... into that. Um, but was it Arandir? Is that how I say it?
0: A um, I believe it Arondir. is.
1: Arondia. I really Something liked closer. him when he was captured by the orcs. That was mm. really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the orcs were terrifying. Okay, great. Um it it seemed like hopeless, obviously, with his escape attempt. I loved yeah, all cool. of that. I loved all of that stuff. Um the like I mean, I was less that's one of the stories I would think I was less invested hey, in. Um and that's before I realized that because I didn't know where the Southlands were. I had no idea that that, that ultimately becomes be Mordor. Mordor. Um, so I was less invested, but I think Bronwyn's a cool character. I'm I'm interested to see um, where Theo eventually goes and what all of mm-hmm. that stuff means. And I, I do really like Arondir, and I love Uh, I think the casting is amazing. He's mesmerizing to watch. I love the stoicism. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I I am invested, but I didn't enjoy it as much as the other storylines.
0: I enjoyed, as you said, the Rondi with the orc stuff I really liked. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed his character. Generally, the bit where he, like, saved Theo and, like, the bit where they ran through the woods – With the orcs chasing me, like catches an arrow out of midair, and then like did a whole legolas thing where he like shot it back at them was fucking cool as shit. It was great to see some of that again. I didn't love Bronwyn. Mm -hmm. I had a real. This is really weird. I struggled with her costume for some reason. It drove me nuts. Like the no the blue the blue spaghetti straps thing she had going Uh, on just I will she looked a little
1: too Modern? modern. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, that's, I've been saying something. that to Angela. Like, I just, like, mm, but just, yeah. We,
0: she was on our death watch, and when, a couple, when we thought she was dead a couple of times, we were real happy about it. Um, Really sad <laughs> she kept coming back. I just She just didn't do a lot for me. Right. The Theo, I agree with 100%. Mm-hmm. Though when they paired him with Galadriel in the second last episode, which is probably my favourite episode of the entire season, I thought that was, that was a lot better. I found a side to Theo that I liked more, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately I loved like when Mount Doom went up, even though they were dumb enough to like, be holding Adar's thing, they thought it was the key, but it was really an axe and no one thought to fucking check.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: drove me up the yep. wall. Like, that's Clunky. the clunk that I was struggling with. Yep. Um, and I right. liked Adar and what's going on with the orcs there. I'm looking forward to a bit of a flashback later on about yes. what happened between Sauron and Adar. Yep. We need to keep moving We're on to a big one that I want to talk about. Yep. The Harfets, the Stranger, and the ah! Mystics. Tell me how you felt about this stuff.
1: I love the Harfets. I find it hard to say <laughs> that name, though, the Harfets. Um, yeah, I really love that little clan of nomads, the way that they, they hide their survival strategy makes so much sense. Um, just simply on a design perspective, the acorns and the hair and the cute things like that. The friendship we see with Nori and Poppy is delightful. Um, and obviously, you know, she's she's the kind of half it that uh, Gandalf <coughs> loves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when we have the stranger arrive on the scene, at first because we just see like the meteor and he arrives and he's like, you know, Terminating it in terms of like just arriving <laughs> in a ball of a ball of fire. Um, yeah. I was like, "Oh, who's that?" And then as Susie's as interacting with the the I was like, "Oh, it's Gandalf. That's who it is." And I also say that because I think the casting so is good. very much cast to be like, "Well, who looks like a young Gandalf?" This guy does. Um, yeah, I. It was it was a huge part of the reason this storyline what I loved, loved, loved about the show.
0: So so what's interesting about that, though, is like we, if you were on board that they were deceptive about Halbrand being Sauron because they were doing an Aragorn thing, it wasn't outside their own possibility that he was not Gandalf, but was doing a wizardy type thing. Does that make sense? It was like meant to get you off guard with whether this guy is good or evil. But I really believed pretty early on that it was Gandalf. I was going to be surprised if it was anybody else.
1: Yeah, I think because I'm just... Thinking of like from an audience perspective, I think, um, and also like having like a little bit of knowledge that like a character like Aragorn with Galadriel, I had no memory of anyone ever mentioning sure. anything like that. So I was like, Meh, nah. In terms of just say like you're a audience member, you have maybe you haven't even like read the books or anything. I think. It would be hugely dissatisfying if that person isn't Gandalf. And I sure. think it would be detrimental to the story they're trying to tell if it's a switcheroo. So I don't believe that's what they're doing.
0: In terms of like going back to the Halfords for a second, mm-hmm. loved Nori. I think great casting, great performance performance and Poppy. Mm-hmm. The yes. little Frodo and Sam thing going on Cute. like yep. got to me straight away. That little society, this constantly moving caravan of nomad, proto-hobbits, mm-hmm. is a great concept <laughs> because you think about where they are by the time we get to I the know. Third Age and they're, they're very they much a settled. They place yeah. that is
1: safe. And of yeah. course, they don't want to leave that. This is our haven. This is our heaven. This is our paradise. Yeah.
0: and, and But even though they're moving, they still stick to the path. Don't go mm-hmm. off an adventure. That's still yeah. not a hobbity thing to do. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um the dad is wonderful. He has some amazing scenes and speeches oh, in here as well.
1: When they say goodbye.
0: And yes. Like, I,
1: you know, I I feel like I haven't taught you anything. And she lists the things that he's taught her. It was incredibly emotional. I loved it. I loved it.
0: The mystics, when they're following the stranger as well, I found them to be very scary, in fact. Particularly when they uh-huh. find the Harfots and, like, like, Nori calls out to try and get them to go the other direction. They just, like... Mm-hmm. disappear and then they're behind or when they find the footprint poppy finds the footprint in the water and like she just disappears as a half thing and just like disappears and the bucket's left behind i was like this is creeping me the fuck out (laughs) um How that sequence all plays out was hit or miss when they, they finally deal with them. Though them being sort of wraithy type things and then being mm. either being part moth or turning into moth, I'm not hundred percent sure of what that is yeah, yet, but looking forward to finding out. Some
1: of the scariest stuff was the when they're pretending to be other people oh, and the eyes. The nori,
0: oh that creepy! that was sc- shit. that was scary. Yeah. That I was like and that. they took they did that because she took the acorn off her. The Mm -hmm. previous episodes, they had a way to, like, they use it in their mimicry magic, I guess. That was very, Mm. very cool. Just generally, though, the idea that it's still not 100%, right? But 99% sure we are. They haven't said it, but this is Gandalf. He might be even before he's called Gandalf, right? But this is is the earliest version of Gandalf. Um, The idea of, like... I think
1: the elves call him Gandalf, right? And then they he call has it, a ho- well, Galadriel calls
0: him Mithrandir. Um, so, like, okay. we might we still him- have that. Yeah.
1: So, he might anyway. have a bunch of names throughout the show. <laughs> Who knows well, what he's he be called? Well, he might. Yeah. yeah.
0: The- the- but this idea of, like, he lands and, like, is found by hobbits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, this explains his huge affection for hobbits that no yeah. one else in this world gives a shit about, but Gandalf mm-hmm. does, is like.
1: I Perfection loved it.
0: Perfection as agree, a concept yeah. and on execution. And when-
1: Like, he is, he is a man without a home, but the hobbits are his home and he loves them. And that, like, yeah. it worked for me. Yeah.
0: Oh, worked completely. And then, as you were saying, the goodbyes between Nori and Poppy and the family and stuff was, was tear-jerking and beautifully done. Mm-hmm. But the moment that got me, that really got me <laughs> in a weird way, was when, again, all suspicions are that this is Gandalf- Mm -hmm. But when- and even though they still haven't said it, when the whole thing of, like, we don't know which way to go, and he, you know, let's go that way, the air is sweeter that way. It's like, when in doubt, Eleanor Brandyfoot, always follow your nose, I fucking lost it. And it was just (laughs) a sense of, like, oh, my God, he's here. Because because that character just means so much to me, and Mm -hmm. it seems- everything about what they're doing with this character is perfection as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned it's not Ian McKellen but it it just is Gandalf it just yeah. feels so right and then walking off into you know towards the sunrise or sunset or whatever it is at the end into the mm-hmm. into the great beyond into the into the east a place we really don't know that much about there's mm-hmm. lots of room for the creators to do what they want with yeah. fills me with such fucking excitement I agree oh, it, I couldn't contain it yeah any last words final thoughts
1: That's why you always
0: leave a note. Do you have any side notes to mask?
1: Oh, let me have a look. Mm, No, nothing beyond like prediction hopes and concerns.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple of questions for you.
1: Great. Love them. Um,
0: Firstly, thoughts on the opening titles. Which is something that yeah, It's a, it's a, it's a of passion e- of mine um, <laughs> in
1: terms of the hatred I feel for many modern-day um, opening titles. It was... I had no problems with it, okay. which is a rare occurrence, I will say. Uh, it didn't bother me too much. I get that it was kind of, you know, an echoing of what we've seen in Game of Thrones. Um, mm. It didn't move too far away from that kind of thing. Um, but I also think my attitude going into every episode was just one of great excitement. Sure. So I think that that goes into like my perception of the opening titles as well.
0: Sure. So it's it's it is kind of a close up on lots of little things, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is kind of in the ballpark of the stuff that you hate. Yep. I don't love them. I'm surprised that I don't love the Howard Shaw composed title music that much. I prefer the Bear McCreary stuff. Really, mm-hmm. um, I, I never felt like I needed to watch. It's not like Game of Thrones where it was like such a banger that I wanted to stick around, <laughs> or Succession where I want to stick around. And listen to this. I will never skip this because just like experience of watching of listening to it is so great. Yeah. Um. The I I like the symbolism of it, which is something I was not truly aware of what it was trying to do until it was spelled out to me, mm-hmm. but. If you know the Silmarillion and you know the origin story of the world, then the world is sort of created through like a music, essentially. And so, yeah. these these patterns formed by vibrations that move these particles around is sort of telling that story symbolically. And it sort of moves through the creation of Middle-earth and the two trees of Eleanor and all this sort of stuff that's going on. And so, I like it as a concept mm. more than I do as an execution, but it's certainly not bad, but it's... Yeah, it's fine, is, right? I, could, yeah. I If there was a skip button, there would be days. I'd be like, "Yep, no, nah, I want to get to the whatever's coming next. I don't need to sit through this. It's not. It's not. It's not hyping me up." Okay, what were your thoughts on the action sequences um, throughout the series? Of which, I'm I feel like there wasn't that many. They were no. happy to like. To, they they weren't like making this an action film or an I, I think people might think of The Lord of the Rings and think that, like, oh, you know, the Battle of Helm's Deep and the Battle of um, Minas Tirith and, you know, big a- and Moria and these big action sequences. But, you know, there's a lot of just walking and talking in <laughs> The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And that was true of this show as well. Lots of talking and talking and talking. Um, but the, what was there? What did you think of it?
1: Um. Okay. So I'm thinking, like, you know, in that first episode, we have. Uh- Galadriel and her soldiers fighting that troll thing, mm-hmm. um, and she's doing some elf stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I at that point I was like, "Oh, I hope this isn't an action-heavy show." Sure. <laughs> that was my feeling when I was watching that. I'm like, I mean, watching elves fight um, is sometimes cool, and sometimes it's Legolas doing absurd things that make me go, "All oh, right, that's enough."
0: Oh, um, really? Not a fan of the Legolas flippity dippities and stuff like that.
1: I mean, sometimes, yes. Sometimes I'm like, too much. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but I, so, I didn't mind that, but I was worried that there would be too much of that. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, what's uh, another fight we have is, oh, when the, like, the Southlanders are fighting against the Orcs. Um
0: before the Numenorians show up, like the episode yeah, yeah, yeah. seven or six, I think it is. It's the big it's kind of the battle episode. It basically. is basically yeah.
1: I was engaged by that because I found the orcs so terrifying.
0: Cool. Yeah. Which I
1: think worked really well for me. Um I didn't hate it. I don't think it went on for too long. It wasn't too absurd. They because Aaron Deere was with them. The strategy part of it was like, well, they are with a soldier, so it makes mm-hmm. sense that there's like a lot of strategy in this, um, which was cool. What other fights did we have?
0: There was the one we've talked about briefly where he's like saved Theo, who went back to get the food or whatever, and got caught by the orcs. Because Theo had th- first of all had to stealth his way through. In a, I did like a, the stealth thing. The one shot sequence I hated. Mm. Well, hates a strong word. I kept. Because one of those one-shot sequences, long takes, if that makes sense, that's not really a long take. And every time it was obvious it wasn't a long take, that was frustrating. There was another one of those. Actually, it was interesting the way they were cutting between... um, uh, There was a fight that involved a deer, I think it was. Is that the Mm -hmm. name of the elf? Anyway, he, uh, he... it could keep telling the difference between him and the stunt double it kept going back and forth between them I they didn't were doing even notice. like mm. cowboy switches and like cutting when there was like in in motion it was that sort of stuff i was like oh this billion dollars is not quite getting this as far as they think it is um but then I'll there say were- as
1: just as, as a, a layman who often checks out during action sequences i didn't notice okay but fair enough that bothered you
0: yeah. Um, but then the bit in the forest when he was saving theo and Uh, On the way through there. And he's like, yeah, grab the arrow of the air and shot it back. That was fucking sweet. Oh,
1: that was cool. I forgot about that. Yeah.
0: That was really, really cool. I really enjoyed the bit where Galadriel was like training the soldiers up on Numenor. That was Mm -hmm. a cool fight sequence. Um the bit with the worm uh, on the ocean on the raft was cool. The the beast thing that was underneath oh, the raft yeah. in episode two yeah. that was kind of cool. Don't I liked the it. troll fight fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the big battle sequence, I guess, in episode six, I was I, again just generally a little bit like uh eh, The problem is when we're spending this much money on a show that looks this good, I'm going to compare it to Game of Thrones. I like I'm going to compare it to the Battle of the Bastards. I'm going to compare mm-hmm. it to Hard Home. And maybe that's unfair. Game of Thrones took a long time to get to those heights with its battles. In fact, its battles didn't exist in the first few seasons because they didn't want to show the battles, basically. They didn't have the money at that stage. Um, but they, they left a, a little bit to be desired in terms of how good this could get. It also, I did like, I guess, I like how it's of expectations. The episode before when they were getting ready to sort of settle down that tower area where the elves used to sort of be the watchers, mm. and I was like, oh, this is going to be Helm's Deep. And then it wasn't Helms Deep. They subverted mm. like blew up Helms Deep on top of the Orcs so they could then set up their little home alone um style traps <laughs> back yep. at their village. Like yep. I I I it was I liked that it subverted my expectations, but yeah, it yeah. was I fine.
1: I will say in terms of like, you know, if we're comparing it to Game of Thrones and things like that is I don't give a poop about battles unless like I'm really invested in the Characters and also I understand like this is important to them and people are going to die. I don't think we're quite there yet with a lot of the characters who are involved in those specific battles. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, true. I, I truly believe that as we get to know these characters more, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and we have battles later on, I might be more invested and I'm the stakes might be higher. Um, kind of like they were in Game of Thrones. Like, by the time we were, you know, getting some action sequences and battles and people dying, I was very invested and we were well on our way to a fantastic story. Um, Never mind how it ended. Um, So, (laughs) So, yeah, they they didn't hit as hard, but I also haven't spent enough time with these characters
0: yet. Sure. A sequence I did love, though, a lot of episode seven... At the end of episode six, when Mount Doom erupts, that whole, like, the devastation of that eruption, the the ash plume and so forth that overtakes Galadriel, I thought was wonderful, and visually really good. And then the next episode, when they're, like, dealing with the aftermath of that, A, just... Our heroes lost, and they really fucking lost, even if mm-hmm. n- uh, no one of importance really died. And Isild- Isildur is not dead. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't quite get hit with that, because obviously we know that he's certainly not dead. Anyone yeah.
0: who knows any any little bit about how this story goes at all, paid has watched The Fellowship of the Ring and knows what happens at, like, in the yeah, intro. Yeah, i
1: so terrible with <laughs> names, um, particularly names that aren't just like... Jack and Joe and well, <laughs> like if a character had my name on a TV show, I would probably forget it. Um, I'm terrible with roaming names from like Avatar and Korra and Dragon Prince and stuff, I'm just like super bad. However, as soon as Isildur, that name came up, I was like oh, Isildur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, that is that name is so burnt in my mind. Yeah.
0: Somehow your human ears turned into elf ears, they pricked up so much. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh right, Isildor. Yeah. Um but that the the visual language they use like that red hue the ash that was all so well done and then really fitted in with the dour nature of that episode in general mm. uh, that to me like episode seven i'm not going to say is my highlight when we get to like highlights and lows in a second but it was a great great episode i thought um yeah i really 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 enjoyed that one and a lot of it was because of the the cinematography and the way the show was put together mm. okay Highlights and lowlights. What mm-hmm. was your low light, Damas?
1: Hmm. My low light is unfortunately um, quite a bit of the stuff in Numenor. Um, I think watching Hellbrand drink with the other like blacksmith guild people. I was like, I don't give a shit about this. Um, as well as like. Even some of the Queen Regent stuff. Um, Yeah. So, unfortunately, I wish it wasn't, but it's a a lot of that Numenor stuff where I was like, it's it's not rich enough for me to really be invested at that stage, unfortunately.
0: I I think it, it hits doubly hard because one of the things I was most looking forward to about this show was getting to Numenor. Yeah. like it's it's a mythical place that gets mentioned mm-hmm. just snatterings of it through the lord of the rings you understand aragorn's connection to númenor the line of kings mm-hmm. um going back through to a his heir and you i was when we first got there i was like holy fucking shit we're in númenor like this is númenor yeah. we're saying and then the reality was like oh this is kind of like politically boring and all that interesting actually it's kind of just mm-hmm. like a feels like rome like it's it's not I've seen this kind of done before a bit. That being said, as we said earlier, I think there is room for this to get politically more interesting. And a lot of this was just setting up. This is the baseline of where people are. You know, lots of elf um, racism going on here and a lot of trying to figure out.
1: Alron's brother is R.I.P. um, Yes. And we've got, yeah, some... A new new power is possibly coming in and that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm 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 sure it will get more interesting. But unfortunately, this season it's probably going to be my low light. Well, it is I, my low
0: light. I did love just as you mentioned that finding out about like Elrond's brother who chose to be mortal and mm. the story of his dad and his mum and and the light of Arandil and mm-hmm. like that, which is obviously important. The the thing that Galadriel gives Frodo in the Lord of the Rings, yeah. but also like. That star and why that's so important. Oh, all that lore was so fantastic. Uh, my low light is the odd moments of stupidity that we mentioned <laughs> throughout. Most notably, the Adar key thing that was the axe wrapped up and no one thought to fucking yeah. check.
1: I did forget. Yeah, a lot of Theo's stuff is also my low light. Yeah,
0: yeah, and Theo, Theo came around. I won't say I, I like. I'm not on. He, I don't love Theo at this stage, but at least the. The last bit we got with Theo, that episode with Galadriel worked really well for me. I think that pairing was really good. It was, it yeah, yeah. I enjoy- yeah, I'm
1: remembering now. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with that.
0: I enjoyed that, which made me go, "Oh, okay." So yeah, he starts out as a little shit who I don't care about, but maybe there's a place to go with this. Mm-hmm. Um, that was helpful to. Otherwise, he could have easily been a low light. But yeah, it's those little like plot convenience moments. The bit with. Um, uh, Sildor's sister and the Palantir at the end—it's just like, boy, you shoehorned this in at the end, didn't you? Just <laughs> inorganic as fuck here. Um, those little things were the lowlights, but forgivable lowlights. Highlight of the season.
1: Mm. Whew. Highlight. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint an exact moment because sure. for me there's quite a few um, but they're all pretty much wrapped around or threaded through the relationship between Alrond and Durin. I I love the moment when after being with the elves Alrond and Durin are just kind of sitting there and he just puts it plainly to his friend like what he requires and Durin's response is so funny but Perfect and obviously so laid with love, in which he's like, "Oh, so the lives of elves um, are in my hands." You know, like the (laughs) the glee with that, and the you know, all just like the lovely smiles and the the shared jokes, and just that entire relationship for me was such a highlight. It was such a beautiful. Gave the show such a beautiful heart. There's another heart in terms of, like, the half-foots as yeah. well, which is great. Um, but, yeah, that friendship specifically, yeah. Yeah, I loved it.
0: I agree with that. I also, just on that storyline, I'm not sure we said it properly earlier, but um, I li- really like the performance of Deesa as mm, well. Loved, um, love, 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 love. Durin's wife mm-hmm. and, and a little, like, there's this thing about do elf women have beards or not. She's kind of got, like, these... Wispy sideburns Mm -hmm. that you could Mm. almost call a beard, Um, and also the of Durin the Third as well, and that relationship of that like uh, old stubborn king and the bit where he like I really love the performance where he takes like the crest off Durin and throws it to the ground, and Mm. Durin goes to to pick it up, and without with just complete like with there's power in how he doesn't emphasise it's like don't pick it up. You're not gonna need that anymore it's just so cold and so like
1: yeah that's in not control yours yeah ah oh,
0: the, the, the just it's so
1: heartbreaking it mm.
0: is and yeah, yeah it really sets up for a great uh season two highlight for me I wanna I want highlight the songs and by the songs I don't specifically mean the bear McCreary score though that is a highlight mm. but like the songs that are sung. In this, And obviously, the s- songs and poetry is a big part of, like, Tolkien's books um, mm. and some great songs feature in The Lord of the Rings. Both, I would say, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, even The Hobbit trilogy has got some great songs in it, too. Um, but, like, Poppy's travelling song, that montage as they're travelling mm-hmm. um, through the wilderness and the strangers helping the half out. I, like, got teary. I thought it was so wonderful and, like, beautiful, mm-hmm. that whole thing. Yeah. It was just so hobbity. Um, then Poppy's frogging song, which is, like, about a guy who, like, I think his daughter turns into a frog and he can't help but eat her or something like that. It's a really <laughs> funny little song as well. But And then, just to top it off, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogies have these great, like female vocalists doing these songs that play over the end credits of the of the three. I think Enya, and I can't remember who does Gollum's song The Two Towers, and then Annie mm. Lennox in Return of the King. And mm. then they got, like, my favourite female vocalist of all time in Fiona Apple to sing a rendition of the One Ring poem and turn it into a song. Yeah. Like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that like,
1: is the stuff. That mm-hmm. was
0: aimed directly at me, and it was a it was a critical hit will say like that was that was yeah. perfection that i couldn't i couldn't have dreamed of something like that Fiona mm. apple doesn't i mean she she has done stuff like this before she's done like um she did uh, across the universe for pleasantville and stuff like that it's not like she doesn't do commercial stuff but it's like she doesn't she goes into a hole for five to ten years before she releases albums so like to come out and do something for the rings of power fuck yeah that's awesome all right just before we wrap up then, Damask, predictions, hopes, and concerns going into Season 2 specifically, I guess. But if you want to look forward Seasons 3, 4, and 5 as well.
1: Oh, my. Um, well, as someone who – because all those, like, videos about the lore and the world building and stuff, I made sure it was pre-this timeline, um, much of the, the Second Age, because I didn't want spoilers. Sure. So, okay. Um, so, it was – Yeah. A lot of, like, Valinor stuff and Silmarils and, like, Morgoth's time and stuff, because I wanted yep. a context around, like, Sauron and Galadriel and her brother and, like, the elves at the time. Like, I just wanted to know a bit of the history. So, it's, you know, it is difficult for me to- I can't make, like, I can't pretend to predict, but really, I'm just coming from a place of knowledge. So, I, I apologise there if it's going to be way off. There is assumed
0: knowledge here. But, like, yeah. A, it's a book adaptation. Yes. Yes. But I think there's a lot of room for them to... And they already are playing with the established canon a little bit. They're not going to go too far away from it. The stuff that we know is going to happen, the Seven Rings for Dwarves, the Nine Rings for El... For, yeah, the uh, headings man, are going
1: to be there. All that um, those
0: things are going to be there. It's yeah, just yeah. how we get there.
1: So I guess like we'll see. Um, I assume, and I kind of hope, Sauron taking different forms in order to mm-hmm. infiltrate and ultimately deceive both men and dwarves, that'd be cool. And I'm hoping we can see like his real um skill at deception. That's um, a tricky
0: thing to do because that's gonna probably mean different performers, different actors in mm-hmm. the role. Yep. Which continuity of character can be difficult uh sometimes when you're getting multiple people to play the same Role. I think
1: totally possible. Oh, not and, saying it's and, impossible.
0: I'm just saying and because it, uh, do it skillfully.
1: Um, every because in my mind, he's adapting perfectly to whatever that kind of race and culture needs. That mm. being very different, but knowing um, that is Sauron the Deceiver um, could be really cool. Mm-hmm. That's that's both a hope and a prediction, but it's mostly a hope. Um, I think. The stranger, okay, Gandalf will. He's obviously going east. He's going to learn about being a wizard as well as discovering like how Sauron has been slowly building power in the east and kind so of do like. You, do
0: you think he's already been doing that? Do you think Sauron has been to the east and is like, is building power over there?
1: I think so. I think okay. they'll be like, because those. I mean, I think. He already has followers from the East, which we know from those, like, three beings that attacked Gandalf. So, clearly he has some kind of following there. And I think maybe um, Gandalf slash the Stranger will be able to see his influence and understand and learn more about Sauron while also discovering um, wizardry and all that jazz.
0: See, I wonder if it's a little bit more Morgoth had influence in the East. Sauron was the next in line. The mystics came looking for Sauron because, like, we need, you know, the air apparent. Not that Sauron specifically had had influence there yet. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, it's not impossible that he's he's had. But I mean, years, I think, I think that's kind this. of
1: the same thing is that like Morgoth is uh, sure, gone sure. and therefore Sauron has okay. influence. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Um, <clears throat> to what degree? I don't know. But I think that's certainly something that uh, Gandalf slash the stranger will mm. discover and probably learn, you know, more secrets that Galadriel and others won't have access to until mm. obviously they all come together and he can feed that knowledge to them and help them in their, ba- their ultimate battle towards the end. Um I think um uh, we briefly mentioned on this before but I think all that kind of racist stuff that we see from the different factions um will obviously influence their ability to like communicate with one another and share information really important information um for the next few seasons and I I'm interested in seeing how that plays out but you know it's all kind of vague and obvious predictions and hopes and stuff at this point
0: Sure All right a uh, sealed door ain't dead Obviously, but what I'm interested in is whether he's being captured by the orcs, whether Adar mm-hmm. and the orcs are going to have Isildur, or is he going to spend some time in Mordor, or will he simply be saved by Beric? You know, Beric's ridden off to do the same thing that uh, the horse did to Aragorn in the Two Towers movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and does he just kind of get stuck in Middle-earth? Like the Numenorians, most of them are gone back now. A Isildur is going to become a king. Mm-hmm not immediately but uh, but he's going to be a king of middle earth of men at some stage does he go and sort of join with Bronwyn and Theo in that group and help them to build sort of that civilization of man as a numenorian coming with numenorian skill and stuff like that he mm-hmm. he's I, it's hard to see him going back to numenor because that he's had that whole thing where like middle earth's like kind of calling to him his brothers meant to be there somewhere as well i get the feeling he's he's going to be stuck in Middle Earth, if that if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I feel like I feel like he'll be stuck in Middle Earth, um, encountering kind of like you know the wild men and stuff, and maybe his brother's already there and kind of like setting up, um, you know, culture parts of uh, Numenorian culture yeah. within that and kind of like building like little villages and things. And so there there is a place for both of them to become um, kings and leaders amongst mm-hmm. men. So I I can certainly see that. Well, I, would, I mean, I'd like to meet Isildur's brother. Um, I think it definitely yeah.
0: has to happen because he, he is one of the establishes of like the realm. Well, he's one of, of those big statues, isn't he? he? Is, it's those yeah. two, yeah. It's Isildur and his brother, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, do you just side note here? Do you have any thoughts on if anyone we've met so far might become a, an eventual eventual ring wraith? Because we've got to give nine rings to nine men, um, or humans, but the mm-hmm. race of men. Is there anyone that stands out that might become a witch king? I'm it,
1: I'm trying to think of like all the men we've met. I think. Um... I guess a Sildor's friend is certainly an option.
0: Yeah, he's he stands out. And Theo yeah. is the other one that stands out to me mm. as being real potential ringwraith candidates. Yeah. um, but Yeah.
1: What other men have we met? Not
0: enough of them yet. Yeah. You could maybe have <laughs> the guy that's like the political guy with the beard and Numenor. You could definitely see him becoming a ringwraith at some stage. He's He looks corruptible, if not already corrupted. The mm. one that's well, like-
1: I'm- yeah, I'm fascinated because I, I don't have any information on specifics around um... – oh, this might be a huge spoiler.
0: About what happened, the, the fate of Numenor?
1: Yeah, but I feel like they mention it quite a bit, the fact that um, well, something bad's coming. It, let's
0: put it this way. But it's I, I directly <laughs> addressed multiple times. The yeah. <laughs> whole episode is dedicated around the Great Wave, yeah.
1: Yeah, so like, I don't know the specifics around how that downfall comes to be. Other than it is, I believe linked to Sauron's like influence. Mm. Um, so yeah, whether that's that guy accepts one of the rings of power and it infiltrates his mind and he make, starts to make really bad decisions in terms of Numenor, I don't know. Um, so I think that that is a possibility.
0: I mean, it is the the island of Numenor was a gift from the gods. The fall of Numenor is also mm. an act of the gods, right? As mm-hmm. as like a punishment, yeah, yeah. I think that's all I understand as well. I don't really know what the specifics of what well, causes that downfall.
1: Well I guess because I mean they were gifted Numenor because they were the, the men that fought Helped against the elves. Yeah, Morgoth. Mm. Um so one would assume that it is a betrayal of the elves and a supporting of Sauron.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, and which would line up exactly where you think the show has got to go. Yeah. Yeah, that could be cool. Um, Gal and Sauron, do you think they will continue? Sorry, I was like, who's
1: Gal? But yeah, right. Yeah. Gladdy. Our Gal uh, pal, yeah.
0: Gal pal. Gal and Hal, now Sal. Uh, do, you, do you think they'll continue with this, like, <sighs> romance is the wrong word, but this... There's a chemistry there that these two have. There's a connection, a, a, a pull, an attraction, an infatuation maybe in some regards. Do you think they'll continue with that to some degree?
1: Um, I will say that obviously the um, allure and corruptibility of um, power will always exist within Galadriel. This mm-hmm. um, sole focus that is obviously quite damaging in a lot of ways that that kind of pull of like this is the the being the the her mission her sacred mission and this being still exists so there will always be um this intense kind of draw and pull to him do I think it's gonna be like um Kylo Ren and Ray I hope not like that's not what I want for Galadriel or Sauron, I think that's probably the least interesting thing you could possibly do. Um, yeah, yeah. Not I,
0: I I'm okay with the 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 seduction of power having a little.
1: And she has like a ring of power now, and obviously they're different because it's from. Um, he didn't name? touch Calib- them. Caliburn whatever. Yeah. So it well, is,
0: Calib- it, helps make the others too.
1: Yeah, so it Except is different. Yes, um, but. They have all chosen to use that uh, method to create a ring of power because they are afraid of their own demise. Um, yeah, so I think there will always be a part of her that is slightly tainted by the darkness.
0: I think. I think in the best way they've already they've already drawn a connection between Sauron and like in place of a dark lord, you would have a queen, not. Mm-hmm. Not dark, but beautiful and terrible as the dawn, or whatever it is. That sequence already has a bit of direct connection to to yeah. Sauron. The other thing that you have is like this idea that, and Gandalf says this, I think, as well in the Lord of the Rings. It's like I would take this ring with the intention of doing good, but through, but through me, it, yeah. what yeah. it oh, would, God. right? Yeah, I love that. What it would do, <laughs> um, and that is the other thing. I think she might. She could still be attracted to it or seduced by the power or her belief that she can wield his power, say through other rings, or even the one ring, whenever that comes to be, mm-hmm. and like sees herself as like worthy of wielding that. Um, that she can do better with it. Um, but maybe not Sauron the guy, uh, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think it's this desire for like power and control that is yeah, yeah always the Corrupting. I forth. think she's
0: she's also like she's got a strong no because now she knows this is the guy that killed her brother. Mm-hmm. Like she she didn't fall for the like no I was really here to garner peace and heal Middle Earth just like Sarah She's like fuck off, buddy. No, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But I think I I I do hope there's a there's some sort of like I don't want their communication to stop. I want there to be a back and forth happening here and. and uh, something that was brought to my attention in um, the Ringer, the Rings of Power um, podcast that Jonah Robinson and Mallory Rubin do that I mentioned, I think in our know, last podcast, actually, is this idea that in the books, Galadriel says that Sauron is constantly trying to, like, know her mind, mm. which is interesting that the- there's been this hint they had some sort of connection thing going already and that maybe there's... There's that's to play out, continue to play out in this. I, I hope. I think that'd be really fun. Anyway. What about the what about the dwarves? Durin seems to be going down a dark path. Did you get that sense from that little Mac, Lady Macbeth speech that was going on? From... Um...
1: Yes, I was like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. It's was like, you know, th- talking about like how like the crown or the throne or whatever belongs to them and or the yeah. minds belong to them. I was like, oh, yeah. um, obviously. And because we know what happens um, there in Casa Doom, yeah. And we see the Balrog having a snooze and then like uh, being very cranky, it. being woken up. Tell
0: you oh, what. We- Mm. I, I reckon some people would have been upset that the Balrog got teased in the trailers and then got the same amount of screen time in the <laughs> show. Um, but, you know, just it's it's worth reminding us there's a Balrog on the way. It's yes. coming eventually.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, like, I think we all saw that coming. Like, they need Mithril. They're, you know, they sing to make sure that- you know, somewhere is safe to mine. They're digging um, too
0: greedily and too deep. That, yes.
1: Exactly. Um, so we we know it's we know it's coming. Um, I am both excited and terribly sad mm. that it's coming. Um, but yeah, so obviously, <sighs> with good intentions, um, something terrible is coming for the dwarves. But so, I, obviously, he's going to. I mean it's not really selfish. He's not necessarily being selfish. He's being selfless for his friend, but in doing so, sacrificing his people, which is bad.
0: Do you do you, and we obviously think Sauron's gonna be a part of like of this do you, what is Sauron getting out of treating with the dwarves though? Is it access to Mithril? Like Mithril so he can create more rings of power mithril so he can create other weapons is like ultimately what else so he's going to get the, from the dwarves if not now he knows mithril exists because mm-hmm. he's had that you know been helping Celebrimbor and elrond make the rings of power for the elves
1: yeah like, i like that
0: that's got to be what he's after
1: yeah i'd love to re-watch the last couple of episodes just in like in terms of timing of things, because what's um, Duran's wife's name again? Disa. What she was saying to him felt not like her to me. Ooh. I was like, oh, this is, she's taking a real dark left turn. It makes me go.
0: See, that was in episode hmm. seven. So that was even well before, mm. that was before even uh, Sauron was with the elves.
1: Yeah. So I'd be, um, I'd be interested. Huh. to know if that was actually her.
0: It Ooh. probably
1: is, but I, it, it just seemed like a real... Because co- she seemed so lovely and quite rational and well-reasoned. Like, sh- she does have a hot temper. She got a
0: hot temper, yeah. But
1: that was, seemed very like, you know, the power is ours and your father's like... An, yeah, it seemed really dark to me in a way that felt almost off for that character.
0: It, it, it's a question of whether... They like the way it was set up was like they could go all that way on their own, rather than, or oh, that's a button that Sauron can push, yeah, and like manipulate later on, or maybe they can get wrapped up and told, you know, or or Sauron's like whatever version of Sauron comes to mm. Mori is like, oh yeah, I'll I'll do this for you, or I'll I'll deal with the king, like kills the king. It's like there you go, you're king now he's like, wait a second, that's not what I wanted. Well, it kind of is what you wanted, though, isn't it? Mm. Um, I don't know. There's, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. That could be, it, I, as I said earlier, it's got a Shakespearean tragedy feel all over it. It really um, does, yeah. Yeah. Actually, while I'm thinking of, we're talking about Sauron again, the other thing that they've already confirmed is going to happen in Season 2 is we are going to get a flashback to sort of how, how uh, Sauron got to become Halbrand on that raft, apparently. Which I think is really important because now we understand that there was a what something went down between Sauron and Adder, and then that has somehow Sauron's gone from there to being on that raft and meeting Galadriel. How he got there, I think, is a really important story that I want to know. I also want to know what happened after Mount Doom erupted, because what happens is we find Halbrand with a. Infected stab wound back at the Numenorian camp. Mm-hmm. Was that was that an intentional ruse on his part to get himself to the elves, or did he actually get attacked? Like mm-hmm. we get no idea of what happened there. I'd like a maybe it's not that important. I could like either either definitive explanation through flashback, or even just a line that just makes me go, "That time I was deceived you because I pretended to be." Stabby stabbed, just to throw throw away line amongst a bunch of other stuff would, would be helpful rather mm-hmm. than just hand waving it. Um The Stranger and Nori, you've already said your predictions. You know, they're going east. Gandalf, yeah. we assume it's Gandalf is going to learn more about, you know, Sauron and Morgoth and you know what influence Sauron might have in the East. Um i am personally just really interested about going to Rune because it is basically a blank slate. Like yeah they Which can do exciting. a lot with that the only re- reference points really that i understand are the like the men that come from the east to help sauron in the lord of the rings trilogy and they are racial stereotypes more than yes, anything yes, in exactly. that
1: exactly and i i think i have pretty good faith that these creators are going to make the east just as diverse as they have made the west yes um, is my hope and there aren't any like significant cultural signifiers of these are people from this part of the world in our reality. Um, so that'll be good. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to go East because it is such a blank slate and there's so much room to play with both Nori and the stranger uh, and what they learn, um, the, the kinds of people they encounter the kind of like civilizations like just the design of those civilizations I think it's could be really cool to play with so yeah I'm excited
0: um, so we have gandalf we think here now the stranger why not other wizards is it possible that saruman will or have already arrived and have be established in the east um I Lattergast. can't remember.
1: were they all sent at the same time?
0: No, my okay. understanding, and it is worth pointing out that some of this stuff was never really settled on by Tolkien, that was yeah. not put into you know a place of definitive law because you know in that regards. Mm. Um, that Saruman and the two blue wizards who we've never yeah. met did arrive earlier. And went to the east. Uh, yeah, at but so some I, I knew
1: the blue wizards were in the east.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So my assumption was that Gandalf um would go east, encounter mm-hmm. the blue wizards, who could then like impart knowledge on him in terms of who he is, um, mm-hmm. or at least like what he is, I suppose, more than who he is. Um, because as Nori says, um. You define that for yourself through your actions, which did, is did, How did you
0: feel about that moment, the bit, I am good moment in the finale? Where he I'll liked, be honest.
1: Some people might think, bit on the nose, bit over the top. I loved it.
0: Yeah. I loved it. I think some people maybe oversimplified what was happening there. Because the point was he was making a choice in that moment. And yes. not that it was the... Last time he would ever make that choice. I think people thought it was like, "I am good," like a definitive underlined full stop statement. No, it was him choosing in that moment that even if you tell me I'm Sauron, Sauron, I am choosing to be good. Yeah, and
1: and I think we that he see con- that he has to continue yeah, to make that choice going forward. Lord of the Rings, not only yeah. like with Gandalf, but like Saruman and stuff. Like Saruman at one point was like very good and like you know mm. did lots of great things, but it's it's all about that that choice that we make, which is throughout... In the Fellowship
0: of the Ring, Gandalf and Galadriel both have to resist temptation and choose to be good Mm -hmm. rather than succumb to power and eventually evil. Like, you have to keep making that choice. It isn't just you are one thing.
1: Boromir, obviously, his betrayal and then redemption. We have Aragorn running away for so long and then making that choice to take a stand. Absolutely. Obviously, like... There's so much like growth and changing and people are not never like one thing in Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. It's not as simple as that. Um, yeah. So I I really liked it.
0: I, I agree hundred percent. Uh okay. Can I first of all, I, I think we'll definitely see Saruman at some stage. I think he'll he will enter the picture. I think he I think it's pretty established that he would have been there as at the same time if not earlier than Gandalf. So that makes mm-hmm. sense. Don't yeah. know about Radagast, don't care about them. The blue wizards.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: The blue wizards. So very easily, they could be here already, the the, the blue, two blue wizards, and it's a real opportunity for the writers if they want to to give us two new wizards and make them whatever they want to, 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 to have a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Can I give you my out there theory on the blue wizards?
1: Sure, I'd love that.
0: Cool. My theory is the stranger is one of the blue wizards.
1: Yeah, I have heard that. Have you? Yeah. Sure. I I that don't think
0: that's that satisfying narratively, but yeah. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. My point is that doesn't mean he's not Gandalf. Not
1: Gandalf. Yeah, he transforms. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, we already know he can. He goes from Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So why not be Gandalf the Blue and then become Gandalf the Grey later? The theory here being mm-hmm. Poppy doesn't go with the stranger and Nori. Mm-hmm. That seemed a little weird to me. I was like, there's an obvious pairing here. This is the Sam to the Frodo of this story. But we get a pairing. We get the Stranger and Nori. And I know this is going to have to play a little bit with what we understand wizards to be. Oh, the my hear God. Me hear me, no, out. hear me out. Hear me out. No, okay, Hear me I'm out. Okay. Hear he. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. He. Imagine the Stranger goes to the east
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, like, it, someone there, somehow he's learning about his power and what he is. But along the way, he's also teaching his little half friend to be a bit of a sorcerer themselves. And, like, Nori becomes a magic wielder. And the two blue wizards are actually... Even though she's not, like, a technical astari wizard, she is known as the other blue wizard. It's weird that there's two blues. Do you know what I mean? It is weird that there's two blues. There's one of every other colour. Why is there two blues? Well, the answer is there's actually one blue astari, but they became known as the two blue wizards. Because they work together as a pair. I think it'd be fucking cool if a half foot was a magic user. Like, that's cool.
1: As you got there, I was like, absolutely not. You waved a bit of a tail for me and I enjoy it. (laughs) Not that um, Nori is necessarily a magic user. Sure, sure. But because of... um, I don't know some other impact she has. Her knowledge of things, charisma, her kindness, her, yeah, all of that other stuff. Yeah. and they are together. That they are yeah. known as the two blue wizards. That's my. I don't, I don't really want her to be a magic user. I think that it's breaking the world a little bit too much.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about this because this gets talked about in Lord of the Rings. Like before they find out the necromancer and Merkwood Mir- is Sauron, they do think that it's just a sorcerer. Like as somehow people can wield magic to some regard. Now, they aren't meant to be as powerful as wizards or that, Mm. but people can wield magic. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that a half-foot or another being could have sort of magical influence. And so I'd be fine. Mm. I think it would be rad to have a half-foot magic wielder getting around, but I understand what you're saying. They can still be known as the two blue wizards, even if she is not technically a magic user. Yeah, Uh, I think that'd be mm. fucking cool.
1: I think I like an aspect of that, but that's a really fine line to walk so that you are not um, changing the canon too much, that it gets, like, real iffy and kind of a bit shit. Um, And I I think there is a way to do it. Yeah. But that big step makes me very nervous. If they do it well... They can do whatever they want, Uh, but uh, just hearing it makes me nervous. I'm not
0: pretending it's not a risk, (laughs) but but like you got to have room to be able to still surprise to come at this. Like if it's just another couple of dudes with beards that are wizards again, it's like okay, we've done this three times already. Why not? Find a slightly different approach. To this chances are one of these wizards is going to be a woman or something like that. Because let's mix it up, and that's what this show is happy to do. And mm-hmm. I'd be fine with that. So, mm-hmm. like, if we're gonna if we're gonna break from the conventions, the norm a little bit to tell a, I mean, this story was never told. These sto- the the blue wizards were never made canonically yeah. anything. So, like. Why not do something a little bit bold with them? Why just make them two more wizened bearded guys? It's like, that's boring. Let's do something a bit more fun with it. And like the idea of like them becoming the two blue wizards to me, I like got that idea. I was like, that's that just seemed like a fun adventure. That, that adventure. I, reckon,
1: I reckon we've got like three seasons of that journey to tell. You oh, know totally what I mean? Like, so, ages. like, if they want to be like doing that slowly, bit by bit for three seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I don't want and, to then, be and they're known back. in the East as the blue wizards and then they come west and you at that point you have gandalf and then who knows what name nori will have at that point
0: absolutely
1: yeah i mean it's possible and if it happens and it's really good then i'll give you a standing ovation that's a promise if if
0: it happens if i'm that's that's what i want to put out i really want to put that on the podcast i want to put this out there that i have this thought and like if that turns out to be true just remember who told you about it first. All right.
1: Okay. Be honest, though. Did you read that theory no, online? No. Are you just
0: repeating it? No, 100% mine. You, you 100% promise? Mine. Okay. Promise. <laughs> okay, I, I tweeted it. it out. In fact, I think I told Liam about it as mm. soon as I had the idea. Okay. Um, All right. If the
1: tweet's there, then you're, uh, you're solid. You got your evidence. You got your research. No. I
0: emailed, I emailed it to Joanna Roberts. So I can send you the email. I emailed it yep. the day I listened to her podcast.
1: Forward that on base. And then I'll know that you've, you're serious okay, about it.
0: I'll forward it
1: to
0: <laughs> you. Um, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. This is a really fun one. I was really looking mm. forward to talking about it. And uh, it was one of our longest ones in a while. And. Yeah, we knew, I knew it was going to be What's <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> you can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Lawty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordas, on Twitter at bgordas, B-G-O-R-D-E-S. Though, if Elon Musk actually buys Twitter next week like they're saying he will, I might not be there for much longer. DaMask.
1: Can't find me nowhere.
0: Uh, next episode, we'll be back to discuss She-Hulk Season 1. We're late to that one too, but that's going to be worth talking about, I think.
1: We're not that late to it, though. Come oh,
0: on. Not that late. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Namariye. Bye. Night, everybody. And so Just while
1: we pause, I'm just going to crack this can open. Go for it. bit of ASMR for you.
0: Oh, that was a good crap. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, happy
1: with that one. Happy with that one.
0: (laughs) Might put that in the end (laughs) somehow. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon.